and Scott Higgins, both of them coked up out of their minds. <laughs> Listen to you. Listen to you. <laughs> He's down in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. I think we should call this the acement. The acement. Yeah. Yes. What do you Whoa. think there, huh? I like that. I the acement studios. Oh. Excuse me, I'm drinking beer. Hold on a second. We, we usually drink bourbon on our end <laughs> yeah, when we right. do the podcast, so That's all right. feel free to enjoy yourself. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> shoot an eight ball if you want. We don't care, as long as it's good stories. <laughs> Welcome to the Aceman. It's time to go behind the funny. This is Scott Higgins. And this is Ace Aceto. <laughs> I could do this because people can see me. I know. It's very cool. It's cool. It's very, very cool. Um, you're not watching this live. Just know that you can also tune in on Wednesday nights. That's right. From 830 to 930 on yep. Twitch. Uh, we are on the jo- uh, Drinks, Jokes, Jokes and, and Storytelling, storytelling channel. channel. Uh, among a bunch of other great, great comics. Tons of great shows on that channel. Other podcasts as well. Uh, everyone has different time slots, and we are the 8.30 to 9.30 p.m. on Wednesdays, and we hope you, you join us live. You can uh, watch us record in the basement live yeah, uh, with our guests. In the basement. It, live from the basement, behind yeah. the funny. So we are, we're recording this week, the week before we actually go live, but... The train never stops. No. We record every week no matter what because we want to bring you the best in comedian conversations. And we have one I'm really excited about. And we say that every freaking week. Well, because we're excited. We, That's why we do this I podcast. so look forward to Wednesday nights and these conversations with, with everybody. But this is going to be a cool one this week. Yeah, you know, it, I hadn't thought about it until I, you know, I booked them. And then I started thinking – you know, you've heard me talk on the podcast about how I started. I started at Periwinkles, yep. but almost simultaneously, I was at Rhode Island College at the time. And so I did uh, I did comedy there. Uh, Ed Del Grandi booked it. And one of the very first people I worked with at Rhode Island College was our guest tonight. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I did. That's the first time you've told that. Yeah. See, there's a first for everything. Every once in a while, I don't repeat a story. I love how you keep our relationship fresh with I something know. new every once in a while. <laughs> Please stop. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> we now you can actually see that see? we're not full of shit when we say our official, unofficial sponsor of the podcast Jefferson's is Bourbon. Jefferson's. And we are... We're doing pretty good because this is the third week on this bottle. Well, it's it's ocean and we tend to savor. We do ocean. We don't overdo ocean. No, when we get the small batch, which we love. Yeah, um, we have a good time with it and it tends to go faster. The ocean, we tend to savor and enjoy. We savor a, it a little little bit more, so but we, it doesn't matter. A bottle of Jefferson's is a good bottle of Jefferson's. That's right. No matter which one we get. And someday they'll understand just how much we love them. Someday and send us. I'm going to be outside their window holding a boom box above my head. I told someday. you we should do a bourbon uh, bourbon trail trip one time. 
and stand yeah. in their parking lot with a boom box above our head playing yeah. all the times that we've mentioned yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, what's the song from uh, Say Anything in Your Eyes? Yes. John playing Cusack. in the background <laughs> as we talk about Jefferson. And Burton. then as you see us, we'll record it. So as you see us getting handcuffed by the police for trespassing. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, they can watch we it on it. an episode of Cops. Yeah. 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 Because we'll it is in Kentucky. We'll do a cross episode with Cops and Behind the Funny. Exactly. Oh, uh, that would be the ultimate. That would be the ultimate. And but as anyway, usual, we went on a tangent right from the get go. Absolutely. But we are very excited, as we always are, because uh, this guy is, uh, again, very, very funny guy, has been a headliner, corporate uh, comedy clubs, uh, private events. And again, well-known, you know, very accomplished colleges. Like I said, my first time working with him was at Rhode Island College at the old coffee ground. And uh, and among other things, and you're going to hear his story uh, in a little bit, just how much he's done, what he's gone through um, in his life and just how he's come out the other side on it. So we're really, really excited to welcome Mr. Tom Hayes to the to the uh, Behind the Funny podcast. And we're just getting used to this whole StreamYard thing. So. Tom's already saying hi. Hey, here he is. Here he is. Welcome, Tom. Welcome, Tom. Yeah, and thank you, guys. What is that thing on the top of my head? What is? That? Oh, there it is. Oh, uh, there it is. Oh, our, that that's actually our logo on the screen. That was yeah. sitting on top of your head. Okay. It's the stairway to the basement. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's the live from the basement. It's basically this, this logo in a smaller version, but on a smaller version. So, but now you are center screen you're the you're the, you're big, the focus you're the big show you're well focus, you know so. thanks for the memories thanks for the walk down memory lane my god were those the great days of what ace huh oh my god yeah like i said i had started at periwinkles i did it a couple of times and frank o'donnell and charlie hall had said hey you know what you go to rhode island college why don't you reach out to eddie del grande because he books comedy at rhode island college you could probably get you know get on a show and that's what I did. I reached out to Eddie and you were like the f first or second time I was up on stage. Remember the in the student union, it was downstairs right. and it was it was called the coffee ground. And on Monday nights, once a week during school, they would have a comedy night. And uh, I mean, I worked with you. I worked with this guy, Steve Trilling. I don't oh, know if you remember, remember Steve Trilling. Yeah. Who's fun guy. Oh, he was hilarious. I used to love – he was one of those oh, first guys on Comedy Central. He was hit the teeth, right? The big teeth. Yeah, yeah. He, he, oh, yeah. And his signature bit, he, I, I used to love this because he was very nerdy looking. Interesting thing about him is he ended up, like, working for semantic software. Like, he's, like, a massive uh, – like MIT. Yeah, he's, like, a virus – like, a, a you know, like a – Virus guy, it like computer a, virus, a concert cellist. Yeah, <laughs> I know. He talk about multi talented. This guy well, was amazing. We, you know what? We've had a couple of guys that we've talked to, Tom, on here that you know, uh, Dwayne Perkins. Yep, Dwayne, another guy that had advanced degrees in yeah. mathematics and computer science. Some of these really just brilliant guys that are comedy. very funny on stage and then just never really used the degree, just went on to be comedians. I think Steve. Steve still does like corporate comedy, but he definitely is a um, he's definitely like big in software because I remember watching like NBC Nightly News one night and they had on uh, it was like during like, I don't know, might have been the Y2K thing. You know? Right. Right. And they had people from Semantic or McAfee or one of those. And it was Steve. I was like, oh, my God, I know that guy. <laughs> let, you know? Let, let me tell you, after what I 
paid for college for my three daughters. If all of a sudden one of them was doing stand up, I'd be like, okay, you're paying me that shit back. Let me tell you. Imagine <laughs> if one of them went to MIT. Yeah. What that, what that would mean, Scott, is you were a shitty parent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I would wear that crown, What you know, proudly. I just want my money back now. <laughs> these, these, these ladies are broken, Scott. That's yeah. But they're not swinging off a pole, Tom. So I'm only half a bad parent. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm the bad parent. My wife's the good parent. Then we were both. We were both bad. Yeah. That's what we that were means. Pole Tom. swingers that be paid well. Yeah. 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 True. Yes. <laughs> yeah, making more the comics. Exactly. <laughs> true. True. Yeah, so yeah, you know. So when I worked with you, honestly, that was literally like 31, 32 years ago. Was he already headlining? Yeah, at that point? And he was. Yeah. So so let's go back. When did you start going? I hate to, tell you, comedy? I hate to tell you this. It was more than that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you were already headlining when I was, you know, when I was yeah. just well, starting. And, well, you know, it's great. This is a great segue because this is how I ended up in comedy and when you when you talk about uh eddie del grande yeah do you know, do you know where he is in, now i think i think he's still doing plumbing because his he, he was del grande plumbing his dad owned the business and i don't know if his dad handed him the business or i thought they had I gotten I, I was there for that transition he First of all, what a great human being oh my god always had a smile on his face always he, he reminded him Right. He didn't belong in company. He was happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he reminded me of uh, the, not always just his looks, but kind of his mannerisms. He reminded me of Rich Seisler. Always yes. had a smile on his face. Yes. Very down to earth and he, easygoing. And he was a booker. Yeah. And he was yeah. happy. Well, well he, was he was a comic first. He, he was, was a comic. comic first. Oh, OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. No, yeah, he was a hustler. He just was ambitious. He uh, I think I met him when he finally met settled down i don't yeah. know i met him at the beginning of that relationship or whatever but um you know settled down and then he got a big break he got on a cable uh, construction show one of these that's what it was like uh this old house or one of them yes that's right and he was it was great i mean yep. it was funny i remember a scene uh, they did the, where they were going through the house and he was kind of going tete to tete with the host. Yeah. And the host did, they got into a kind of a, you could tell it was a little tension there. The guy had gloves on the counter. Yeah. So they're walking like to another room and there was a bucket right beside the gloves of the counter. And it's, he went by Del Grande, went <laughs> like that. To the gloves, one <laughs> in the trash can. <laughs> That's awesome. But he was, uh, well, so this is how I ended up in comedy because we shared the story. He won Showtime Cable's funniest yep. person in Rhode Island contest. Yep. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Showtime had come to Periwinkles. This was a couple yeah. of years before I had started. They came to Periwinkles. They were looking for like the funniest person in each state. And then they would compete for the funniest person in, in the U.S. Yeah. And Eddie had won the funniest person in Rhode Island. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And I had won the funniest person in Massachusetts. Oh. Which which totally spooked me because I knew I wasn't and I couldn't believe it happened. Um, but you're absolutely right. They ran this national concert. Cable had just come out. Mm -hmm. 
So everybody was getting cable. You know, there was it was the stands. It was HBO. It was Showtime. Blah blah. And I'm walking by the TV set. I think my kids had it on on a Sunday, Saturday afternoon or something. And um, Showtime cable. Uh, if you have a funny video, we want to see it. You, we have this contest: funniest person in America send in the video. Well, as fate would have it, and you know, I'm, I don't know if you know Bucky Lewis, a be- very famous. Yep. Okay, well, Bucky and I are doing a podcast, and what we're doing is uh, classic comedy from days gone by, Lucille Ball. and Yep, yep. Uh, so anyway, um, we, you know, so we, we, we generate those, we go back to those days and everything else. Well, we always talk about destiny, and, you know, I see this as part of the thread, that somehow, for some reason, we're born to do this, whether we know it or not. Right. And it, it shows up. And so what had happened was I was born into a family of magicians, of Italian, the Italian, I'm half Irish, half Italian. The Italian guys all did a little parlor magic, except one, my uncle was semi-professional and actually president of the Pacific Coast Association of Magicians. Oh, wow. Yeah, but I didn't know the guy because he had moved out to Monterey when before I was born. Yep. But so that part of show business, if you want to say, was in the family. And so we all learned, and I really took an attraction to the magic. But one thing with magic is if you do not have a support base, (laughs) everybody, magic is an antagonistic entertainment. People aren't just happy to see the trick. They want to catch you. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So being a, a teen, it was just a fight. Every time I did a trick, it was, I saw that, you know, and I was like, forget about it. I dropped it. And one day I was um, on a sales call. I was selling radiology film and actually in uh, Barrington, Rhode Island. Yep. A doctor, a radiologist had an office there. And uh, I was new at the job, but I knew the guy was close to coming over. And I said to my boss, I don't know how to close on this guy. He says, Can you? He says I'll, I'll do it. So we go in. And I could tell the, the doctor's on an off day. He's not in ha- his happy self. Yeah. And I said, hey, doc, you know, I was just curious if you thought about, you know, purchasing our film. And he goes, no. He says, and if you come back here before a month is up, I will never buy a film. Now, to me, that was a signal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So I said, okay, doc, thanks. And I start heading for the door. And the, my boss, who's a very sophisticated guy, he was a, pro, a semi-pro tennis player, belonged to the best clubs, Longwood, et cetera, reaches in his pocket and takes out this really crappy <laughs> parlor trick, which was a cylinder, and it, it was a faked cylinder. It was a hollowed out, and, and on the top was a nickel. So it looked like he had four or five nickels, but there was only one real nickel, and then this thing. He puts it on the table, and I'm like, Oh my God, he's not going to do this. What is he doing? Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, Doc, he says, I just, before we go, I just want to show you what happens every time you put a piece of Kodak film on the box instead of Fuji film. And he goes like this and he takes it and the, the nickels are gone and he shows him the cylinder. And I'm going, that's it. Um, this guy's a radiologist. He makes a half a million dollars a year. He's a doctor's doctor. We're yeah. done. And the doctor goes, uh, starts laughing. He does a complete mood change and says to him, if you show me how to do that, you got my business. Wow. (laughs) So I'm like, my God. So we go in and he shows him how to do it. He goes, okay, send me a case of each here. And uh, we're shooting. And and now I'm brand new salesman. So I'm thinking we got to go before this guy changes his mind. Right. (laughs) 
let's get out of here. And he keeps talking, talking. We get to the door and he says, wait a minute. And I go, ah, I knew it would. Here it comes. Wow. The rabbit send a box of each to my office down the street. (laughs) Wow. Over, over a 10 year period. We sold that doctor a million dollars worth of film. Holy shit. You realize I'm buying some fucking magic tricks tomorrow for my day job. (laughs) I was just going to say, where's the local magic shop? Exactly. So so imagine destiny, you know, the spirit, whatever, the magic magic spirits are saying, boom, in your face, you are are going to. So I come running home. I was a little pack rat. I run. I'm married. I got two kids. Everybody's like, hi, daddy. And I'm like, I don't have time. I run up yeah. to the magic. <laughs> get to the magic. We're going to be rich. <laughs> We're going to be rich. And I grab the trick. And the next day I'm running around and people are looking at me like, what the hell is this guy doing? What is this guy crazy? Right. It's like pickles disappear on the desk. And um, But what was interesting, I found a couple of radiologists who, when I, looked, when I did that, said, um, tell you what. You better come back here with a new trick every week. <laughs> wow. Now, okay, so now the, the you know the yellow brick road opens. Okay, and now so I run down back. Little, thank God, little Jack Horner joke shop was still alive in Boston. I yeah. go. In, I knew all the things I needed. I give me that rope trick. Give right. me those balls. Give me this, this, and this. And I'm relearning all of this magic. All this magic, right? I keep my biggest account. He's my biggest fan. <laughs> So a couple a year, so and then my boss shows up in town, and I'm I'm brand new. I'm only like three months on the job, and he looks at me, and goes, "What's the matter with you? <laughs> What's the matter with your pockets?" I goes, "Oh, nothing, man. You look, stuff. you look like Captain Kangaroo." And I go, <laughs> "I go, uh, I got magic tricks." He goes, "Oh, wait a minute." He goes, "Oh no, this is professional medical sales. You can't be doing that." I said, "Watch." So we go down, and early in the morning in hospitals, what the radiology department is doing is barium enemas. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> these guys are walking around. With, That's uh, the best time for magic, <laughs> of course. <laughs> hey, doc, you want to see a rope trick? <laughs> watch me, watch me put the thread this rope right through the patient. <laughs> Let's make last night's dinner disappear. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I've been out of the business style for over 20 years and my buddy went to mass general the other day and had to have a heart procedure and so you know he he goes in the room and i'm standing there and of course you know hey you know i'm 74 now and they're looking at me and so what are they thinking this guy needs a procedure yeah right <laughs> name can and date. Can yeah, we you, walk, you? you walk up they're like name and date of birth please <laughs> And, and I you have your tried. insurance card. <laughs> and I had tried. I'm with stupid a few yeah. times. That's not working. And so finally, I would look at them. I go, yeah. I said, uh, I, I really, I, I'd really like a battery minimum. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> Just kidding. This is yeah. the last thing you want. It's one of the most painful procedures you right. can have. Anyway. Do you have this in a home kit? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get it to go? <laughs> yeah. well, just a quick aside, one of my favorite stories, I walked into a chief radiologist's office one day. He's laughing his ass off. I said, what's so funny? He says, this morning a patient was on the table getting a barium enema, a woman, and halfway through the procedure, she reached around, grabbed the tube, yanked it out, and looked oh. at the doctor and said, this exam is now over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. 
Okay. I don't even so, want to know oh, what's happening. Oh, that's ugly. That so, but I, not- you know, one one thing that you know that I could say, could we have a lot of younger comics that, that listen to us and a lot of people uh new to comedy or performing but one important thing i think that you learned in that moment when he did that nickel trick is how powerful disarming people is with you know comedy or that distraction for a second how powerful that that is you know i it, i had an epiphany the other day with you know you you get into sales or whatever your profession is and you try to if you have any desire to be good and stand above the crowd you study everything about it and you learn all the techniques and then after you figure it all out why why did you get the business personality right right <laughs> That's it, folks. If I can teach the comics anything, get a personality. Right. Yep. You're selling yourself more than anything else. Exactly. You're and right. Exactly. That's why people were buying, not because my product was better or less expensive. No. It was me. It was relationship. 100%. Yep. 100%. A guy named Al Goshman, who was, at that time, TV was so exciting, wasn't it? When comedy, we would, there was uh, evening at the improv. Oh, yeah. Were, Saturday Night Live, and then there was also like a, a magic show on. And one of the close-up specialists, one of the guys at the tables, was a guy named Al Goshman. He would make things disappear right at a table. You were yeah. two feet from this man, and he would make things appear and disappear. That was would make you start to think this guy's not messing around. Right, He's magic. <laughs> this is so. We got through the lecture, and he's everybody's taking notes and blah blah blah, and he goes. I want to tell you something now. He says, if you learned anything from this lecture, you are the magic, not the tricks. Right. And he says, if you concentrate on you, and this is advice for all you young comics out there, it's developing that character yep. and understanding you're giving to the audience rather than taking laughs. What's, that was the big move for me when I finally said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, as long as I'm interested in getting laughs, I'm screwed. Right. Because the audience has all the power. And once I shifted to, I'm here to give them. If you don't like it, I can't do anything about that. Right. So right. it's getting comfortable. You know, so anyway, uh, so these guys walk, we walk in and they're all in their lead aprons. <laughs> 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 they're walking up and down the halls, going from room to room, sticking tubes up people's butts. <laughs> and they, they, five or six of them look at me and go, Oh my God, the magician is here. Uh, <laughs> which I'm sure put all of the patients on the gurneys at ease. <laughs> Where's he going to stick something and make it disappear? <laughs> Nothing up my sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> Ma'am, is this your watch? Yeah. I, you know, I, I understand now I'm giving you guys great fodder for this show. <laughs> yeah. No, it's oh, yeah. perfect. It's perfect. No, so, but let me, let me well, ask anyway, you this. I'm yeah. there doing rope tricks, pick a card. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look at this scarf. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's, up it's over here. And we walk out, and my, we get in the car, and my boss goes, uh, what happens if you run out of tricks? <laughs> I don't. Check my so, expense report. So so where did stand-up finally well, come so in here, for you? So this is it. So now... Now the docs are asking me not to just do close-up magic, but they, hey, my kid's having a birthday party. Can you? And like, of course, docs, you're giving me a million dollars worth of business a year. So they're asking their Fuji film salesperson to entertain their kids. Well, listen, I've I've had wow. I you know I'm in medical sales during the day, and I've had a doctors ask me to do their 
private parties. No, but and you stuff like you that. have been doing yeah, stand up. At this point, he's not out doing oh, magic no. shows or no. anything. So but, I mean, but he was good enough that yeah, they were like, "Hey, that's impressive." Do it right. Yeah, so now now I got to go on. So now I'm calling that uncle in Monterey, who I don't know, but my cousins are saying you better call Frank. Yeah. <laughs> Frank, I'm in trouble. They want me to do this, you know, for them as in as a show, not just. So I fly out to Montreal, uh, Monterey, and he just—it was amazing connection. And you know, I, God rest his soul, is just an amazing human. And he took me in and showed me, taught me everything. And wow. so now I'm in, just like like tonight. It's gone yeah. full circle. I'm in a basement doing magic tricks for little kids, and then wow. I get you. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm actually shaking. I'm so nervous, you know, and I'm doing it. The kids are going, he's shaking. He's shaking. <laughs> oh, they're calling you out. <laughs> so the act evolves. And what I'm attracted to is comedy magicians. I was fortunate again to be able to join two magic clubs in Boston. And I got to see the magic, the comedians. Yeah. The really funny magicians and there's their setups and it was great because of the audience participation so right before i even hit comedy i was comfortable reaching out to the audience and and working the crowd anyway yeah. uh so i developed the crowd here come i at a show one night a guy actually a guy who made my my artificial legs we'll get into that later yeah i got, I got yeah. one in the corner uh <laughs> has just got a beautiful camera and he came to the show and he caught the sublime moment, the supreme moment. I got a guy up on the stage. I used to make a, actually make a cupcake. It looked like I made a cupcake in a guy's pocket. I would break an egg. I'd put flour in there. I'd put milk. And then I'd throw a lighted handkerchief in his pocket and come out with this cupcake. Well, the guy was loaded, all right? He was – and he looked like a character on um, – Oh, Owen uh, Martin's uh, somebody. Owen, uh, it was a show back then. L- laughing, yeah. Ro- laughing. Rowan, Rowan and Martin. Rowan and Martin, and he looked like a character. He had dark. And anyway, he was hysterical. Yeah, okay. he. I put these glasses with the the bouncy eyes. Yep, yep. Playing in the glasses, and he's doing all these motions, and I'm the whole time trying to pull him in. Yep. More, it's this contrast of me trying to work him straight and him going crazier, the more hysterical the thing is. It was a classic. Anyway, I take that audio video cassette and I drop it in the mail to Showtime. And I forget about Uh... it. Well, for a year, Showtime decides not to just look at the videos, but to come to Boston at the height of Boston comedy. Stephen Wright and, of course, Lenny and Steve Sweeney and... uh, you know, uh, Paula Poundstone, uh, uh, you name it, okay? Yeah, yeah. Theory, uh, on and on, all of the greats we know. They yeah. come to Boston for a year traveling to every single comedy club, Comedy Connection, Knicks, you know, there were dozens of them. Yep. And so I figured that that's that, you know, I know those guys. I see them. Those guys are funny. Right. So then it was announced they were going to have a national runoff in New York. And uh, so I said, well, I got a call from my wife one day. I check in. Remember before voicemail and cell phones? Oh, yeah. <laughs> call, Did you have- call somebody. And my, yep. wife, my wife says to me, uh, Showtime Cable just called. I'm like, yeah, right. 
She goes, no. She says, Showtime gave them looking for you. So I'm going, okay, they want one of two things. They want me to come. Maybe they want me to come to New York, which I'm not doing because I know I'm not going to stand a chance. Right. Second of all, uh, they, they're looking for an address to send the cassette the tape back. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Right. Yeah, you know. yeah. What's your return address so we can send you tape back? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> oh, that would be so, the worst. <laughs> so I, I call. I call. And sure enough, somebody says Showtime Cable. So I figure, okay, the number's legit. Yeah. Nobody's pranking me. You know? Right, right. I had a reputation at the time for being a pretty good pranker. Yeah. And uh, so they, they, you know, they put me on hold. So hold on. And a gal picks up Tom Hayes. And I'm standing in a hospital lobby listening to this. Tom Hayes? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. The Tom Hayes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you submitted us. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. You just won Funniest Person in Massachusetts. Holy shit. Right? Wow. I mean, come on. This, this is falling out of the sky now, right? And uh, at the time, I had taken a course with um, Paul Barclay and Billy Downs. Yeah, yep. And I, I did a couple of times at their clubs but what i was determined at the time i'm making three four hundred dollars this is 30 years ago to do mason's hall to do a an american legion yeah oh yeah and and i'm looking at all these comedians doing open mics and not getting a paint and i'm looking at the cash register going right and and they're charging 20 bucks and i'm going i'm not doing this you know i'm not going paying i'm already there so they said, oh, congratulations. And I'm like, ah. I said, I think you guys ran all over the state for like a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I go, no. You <laughs> Did you won't. not see so-and-so and <laughs> He's so-and-so? Yeah, He's, right. He's yeah. trying to talk them out of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, what about Stephen Wright? You know? Yeah. <laughs> About, yeah, the guy that's been on Carson. And uh, <laughs> have you seen Lenny Clark? Yeah. Have you seen yeah. Stephen Wright? I'm not the guy. This is <laughs> that's wrong. I'm not him. Yeah. And go, no, no, no. We already sent out a press release. And I'm like, wow. Oh, no, I don't need this. You Which know? I'm sure gave you all kinds of support from the Boston comedy community. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, Who the oh, fuck yeah. is this? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Nobody knew me. The only ones right. who knew me. Paul Barkley and Billy and Downs. Billy. Right. Class. So like the So next- now when you say you took a class, was it with Paul and Billy teaching or was yes, it the one yes. that they took with the- Sean Moray way back the- in the day? The- Sean they brought in it was a great class. Yeah. They'd bring in Steve Sweeney. Oh, all They'd right. Teddy Bergeron. Yep. Bring in- they- so they brought in the the comics to get right. it was a you know, when you go back in time and you think of what happened in Boston and what it generated, oh, it, yeah. it was, it, there's no other way of explaining that it was magical. Yeah. You know, oh, how, yeah. How did this happen? Where were all these guys before? Right. Well, you know? what we ended up finding out just from talking to some of them is some of them were teachers and social yes. workers. And, yeah. you know, yes. Tony V was a social worker right. and yeah. uh, Steve Sweeney was a was a teacher. Or was it Don Gavin that was a teacher? Don Gavin. Don Gavin. Don Gavin taught at uh, CM. And, right. Uh, and you're right. But they were very, they were already, they already right. had sets. Right. Like Stephen Wright went to Bill Rucker High School. And Stephen Wright is writing jokes during during the day. During class, so, right. So, so when they hit when they hit the stage, they were already hot. You know, mm. Lenny Lenny was uh, ran for mayor of Cambridge. You know, Lenny just had yeah. 
personality. So it was monstrous what happened. And then it drew everybody from Cleveland. Everywhere. You know, and what I found amazing about it is that I didn't have, it came to us just like it came to, to Providence. Yeah. It came to yep. you guys. So sure enough, here's the papers. I'm on TV and I'm like, <laughs> what do I do now? Wow. And then, then Billy ca- calls me up and goes, uh, Tommy, uh, you know, we got the press release. Uh, you know, you won. Uh, and so Billy was on it. And he goes, uh, uh, did you know somebody? <laughs> I'm going, Billy, I'm so <laughs> I don't know what this is about. Well, right. Well, you got so much press. We'd like you to come down and work. I goes, and he goes, and we'll pay you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Now so you're you, talking my language. So you got to skip the open mic. I got to go right. Period. And went right to work. And wow. Yeah, well, I had, I had the stage experience. I had right. Funny comedy magic. Of course, then that's all they needed. All the Boston comics needed to see was a few props and magic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is no good. Oh, yeah. 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 So I was easily hated right from the shot, you know? Wow. But, but again, Lenny was, Lenny being Lenny and Lenny being the, one of the greatest humans on the planet. Absolutely. He took me in and loved it. But anyway, so the next thing I know, I'm, and I'm funny. In yeah. fact, I said to some guy that uh, one night, I forget his name. Now we work in a club in Worcester and I goes, I don't get it. They all hate me. He goes, yeah. He goes, cause you're funny. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, says, he says, if you sucked, nobody would care what you did. Well, up. you know who else said that when he, cause you brought up Cleveland is Frank Santarelli. Yes. When, yep. when he moved to town, he said they hated him because all of a sudden he was getting gigs and they're like, where did this guy come from? Yep. He yeah. said they even uh, I believe they said Frank Cinarelli scoffs at jokes. <laughs> he doesn't write jokes. He well, scoffs at punchlines. Well, in Seinfeld's documentary comedian Orny Adams said, yeah. you know, everybody is nice and supportive until you get funny until and then they're funny. all they all right. hate you. Yeah. Exactly. You know, as soon as you're funny, they all hate you and they yeah. don't want to talk to you anymore. Cuz so, people cuz people feel threatened at that point. Right. Like you're like you're going to take all their work away, <laughs> which which and is especially not, at, yeah. at that time, there's no way one person could take away all the work. There was I so mean, much work. Every then. every place had like sixty rooms all throughout New England. You yeah, know, it was. You know, I worked every single night for a long time. Yeah. You know, if you needed a show, you just say, hey, "Ain't got anything?" Yeah, sure. Glad you called. Wednesday, and, to, uh, Wednesday to Sunday, there was a yeah. show every night. I, you yeah, know, because. When I started in 1989, I mean, I've shown Scott my book from like probably 1990 and you open it up and it's like spot yeah. on Wednesday, 25 yeah. bucks, spot on yeah. Thursday, 25 yeah. spot on Friday, 50 double up. You know, it's like, that that looks like my book now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the spot on Thursday, $25 yeah, yeah, spot right. on Friday. $50. Yeah. Welcome, exactly. to post, welcome to post COVID where everyone knows they can pay you less. Well, not to rub it in. You could work on Warrington street, which Nick's was on one end and comedy connection was at the other. Right. And I could go back and forth. There yep. would be three to four shows at least at Nick's at, at each least. place. Right. And, and, go back. and, and by the end of the night, you've done six shows and you don't know what you said when you said yeah. it. Who said that? Someone said that Stephen Wright got up on stage one time and even said, I honestly don't remember if I told that joke to you guys or someone else. I think that was Mike McDonald. But that Mike told, McDonald that told us, told us yeah. 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 And so, well, it's, and it was true. And you had come home with a thousand dollars cash. I, yeah. Right. One night. 
That's you know? crazy. And uh, so it was just, but that was it. If it wasn't for that moment, yeah, that crazy decision to throw this thing to the wind. And by the way, that was the year that Ellen DeGeneres won for Louisiana. Oh, wow. And wow. Ellen, and Ellen DeGeneres won the national. Oh, she won the national. Yeah. Wow. And, and I remember the tape, she was at a piano and this and that. And, yep. uh, you know, um, like me, wasn't the funniest at the time. And, well, you know, well, was charismatic enough to win the audience over. How, and, how has yeah. she done since then? I think she's doing all right. I heard she's she doing had, okay. Well, you know, I, I saw a documentary on her recently um, and they talked about, oh, she was on Letterman. She yep. you know the thing Letterman does now. Oh, on oh, Netflix's yeah, yeah. talk show. That yeah. yeah. And the so, uh, interview uh, show. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when she came out, talk about how times, talking about 180 turn, right? She came out and immediately was cut from her television show and disappeared. Nobody, everybody was angry with her. Right. Yep. They were disappointed. Right. They were heartbroken. Sweet little Ellen doesn't yep. have a boyfriend. So she said for a year, she nearly starved. She had zero work. Everybody, wow. shut, everybody shut her off. Yeah. And guess what came along to save her? Finding Nemo. Wow. All of a sudden, out of, oh, she went to an astrologer. It's an amazing story. She went to an astrologer. And, and of course, Letterman's like, you did what? You went to an astrologer? Right. <laughs> and she's looking to go, Dave, she was good. Yeah. <laughs> and she says, it I worked. I still go to her. And wow. she told me within a year, my whole career would come back. And then she says, I got a call from she somebody. Finding Nemo. Somebody, the guy who wrote Pixar, who came from Rockport, Massachusetts, yep. called her up and said, we need your voice. And so he said, so so then so she says, so then you were back in the game. She goes, not really. She says, they paid me. $35,000 for that gig. Wow. wow. And that movie went on to make millions. That was one of the A most shit. That was one money. of the most successful Pixar movies ever. Yeah. You know? And now, so wow. of course, when they, when they asked her to do the second show, <laughs> then you renegotiate your contract. Yeah. <laughs> so so let me, let me back way. up though, because I wanted to ask you. So one of the things we ask guests, and it seems like, you know, you skipped over the whole, <laughs> the whole open mic and stuff like that. So, you know, typically people will go to an open mic or or a contest and they do really, really well. And then like, you know, they do really well because they've got a lot of family and friends in the audience because yeah. it's a bringer show. And then they get to a real show like a couple of months later. Did you ever have any of those shows where all of a sudden you're like, it, you bomb? Yeah, you know, a little bit. But again, I I was novel enough. I was doing some pretty outrageous things. Yeah. I'm, up there with this little table and i'm i'm pulling live doves <laughs> you know yeah uh yeah and, and and people are like oh my god you know and i'm right i'm doing i used to do a bit about one of the birds i said yeah i want you to and this was right when the celtics were in a rage it goes i'd like you to mean and this is this is larry larry yeah. bird you know stupid yeah 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 you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you know? And right said, and uh so I, I'd play with that. And so I had enough that was just mind blowing. Yeah. That, and, and again, a little personality. They liked me. The comedians hated me, but I could. But you're right. There were certain nights. when <laughs> It just didn't work. Well, and you're standing I, there and you're like, why did this work yesterday? And it's not working now. I had one nemesis and it was um, 
stitches on. Um, yep. I remember on, the old stitches. Yeah. Down on, by BU or BC. Yeah, Huntington Ave. Huntington Ave. And uh, yep. right by you. I, I was headlining at the Comedy Connection at Nick's. And I'd, I'd go to stitches and just couldn't get it. Totally different crowds. Yeah. And then they moved the club. And I still couldn't get it. You know, it was like recent, right now the Bruins have got this thing going with the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> yeah. And I can't beat them. Yeah. You know, that's the way I was with Stitches. And then one night they won in a contest for a spot on the Tonight Show. And I went down crushed. And then I moved on. I crushed again. I crushed. I couldn't believe it. And I was in the running. I was yep. like, going to do it. So <clears throat> I got in front one night. And I'm so cocky because I got this room. I got it nailed. Right. I got up. I did not get one. <laughs> one. Uh, and you know that feeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything dries up. Yeah. Everything. All, every, every drop of moisture just goes. We're out yeah. of Gone. <laughs> Right. Have fun with the cotton in your mouth. You know? Yeah, right. Oh, that's <laughs> so the worst feeling. I reach for a trick. I used to make a a cigarette disappear. I used to take us with bare hands, at least yeah. like that. And I go and pull through the gun. And I said, "Okay, well, here, let me try some magic with you guys. The guys are tough." And I do this total silence, and one guy goes, "Why don't you disappear?" No. <laughs> And the worst part, the worst part, I had been booked for almost a year or two by, um, I forget the name of the, Barry Katz. We all know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. and, and Ina. Um, Nina. Had, yep. Boston Comedy. Boston Comedy. Yep. They're in the audience. They have never seen my show. Oh. And I'm going down in flames. Flames. Wow. And, uh, so, uh, but there's, there's a funny side story to this is, uh, so my girlfriend's in the audience and uh, she's in the, been in the mood. She's been bugging me. It was two, I had to do two sets. And right after the first set, I had a great set. The first set, she's going, let's come in. She was a gum chewer. She went, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, I can't. I got another set. So she watches me totally bomb. <laughs> yeah, she was a smoker. She's just going. <laughs> so where are we going for breakfast? Because I'm yeah. no longer in the mood. I don't think this is going to work yeah. out. It's just, exactly. It's just watching the boyfriend crash and burn. Uh, and so I go up to the table. I never felt worse in my life. And I got my bag of tricks and everything. And she goes, can we go now? So, <laughs> oh. Is that the best you can do? I said, yeah. I just tanked. Right. Because these people suck. Let's go. So we shouldn't blame you. Yeah. I apologize to Barry. I apologize to Nina. I get to the car. I'm just crestfallen. I put my bag yeah. in the back and I'm standing. I get in the car. I got my keys and I'm just looking like this. And she's over there going, Oh, terrific. Now I guess you're not going to screw me, are you? Oh. <laughs> now. I'm going to have to pay for your bad show. Oh. <laughs> One of the best lessons ever. I went, I looked at the keys. I looked at her and I said, they are now a distant memory. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. I, and wow. at that moment, I said, yeah, why let them screw up my night? It's just one of those things that happens. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's funny, but that's we've talked to so many comics over the past, you know, four years. That's what separates true comics from people who just try it. 
Yes. Because even after that really bad show, you still have to get back on stage because you're like, yep. I know I can do better. I yep. know I could do better. And what you learn from that is, see, I was getting complacent because I was on a roll. I was everything right. I did. I yeah. had false confidence. Adding a thousand. Yep. And now all of a sudden you're knocked on your ass and I went to work. Yeah. I was going to make sure that was never going to happen again. And, exactly. and I, for, I forgot who it was that told us that. I think it was even Mike Donovan that said that, that there there are comedy gods that you will yeah. get. They, you will get in a point where you're where you're kind of get robotic because you're doing so yeah. well. Yeah. You're just yeah. in cruise control. Yeah. And then they will hand you that crowd yeah. that yeah. makes you fall on your face and yeah. make you realize that you can't mail it in. You've right. still got to deliver every time still you're on stage. You still have and they, they remind you of that every once in a while just to, to keep yeah. you on your toes. That's like, hey, look at the Patriots. Someone had a perfect season, right? Yeah. Right. They got slammed in the Super Bowl. And right. exactly. They, they learned from that. They learned that it's not so bad to lose a couple of times before right. take some prep well it, it takes some pressure off too exactly like you don't always have to be uh, right. 100% well know? they learn what that Super Bowl trophy feels a lot nicer than just having a perfect season oh yeah exactly <laughs> so, yeah, that's for sure so you you kind of alluded to it earlier so let's talk a little bit about um you know the your health and i, what I was going to ask about that because you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast he, he had to overcome adversity so so um not only not only overcoming it you know but but really kind of incorporating part of it in your act too so what happened with your health when so when I, did it happen how long were you doing comedy can we do this another time <laughs> you've already paid for the session so we're going to get we're through sorry. this together yeah you, um, you, you've paid you know, for the hour, Tom. So we're gonna get through this. Yeah, so, <laughs> so at the age of first of all, I, you know, we live in very turbulent times, and, and everybody's got strong opinions now. I don't think anybody we could be more polarized than we are. If you weren't yeah. before, you, you've all of a sudden found yourself. Yeah. You thought you were in the middle. All of a sudden, you find yourself one way or the other. Right. And, Absolutely. And I mentioned that because of my experience. I mean, I grew up in the inner city in Boston, the worst section possible. Um, I grew up in Roxbury, uh, mm -hmm. where it was reverse discrimination. Because I had white skin, I had to run my ass off. All right. right. And um, so it was a miracle sometimes to make it to the grocery store and back with the groceries and the change. Yeah. So there was this constant fear, fear, fear. And uh, went to parochial school. So there was violence on the streets. There was violence in the school. And it was really tough. I mean, it was just constant vigilance. So about the age of 13, I, I start getting up. I was very fast as a runner because I had reason. There were people chasing me. All right, the time. right. Yeah. So I was very fast and I started getting pains in my knee and I kept complaining to my parents and they kept saying, uh, it's growing pains. You know, you're, yeah. You're, you're Everything that you think it is. Right. And they ignored it and ignored it and ignored it. Well, like, finally bring me to the doctors and I remember them looking at the x-rays and there was a big white spot just at the knee that was starting to climb up my um, uh, femur. And they, they said uh, they came back and said it was oste osteosarcoma. Now they said tumor. That's all I heard. I didn't hear cancer. Yeah. And uh, 
So I figured this is something that, you know, modern science, it's kind of no big deal, whatever. But next thing I know, I'm in the hospital and I'm in there for like a month. And one day a doctor walks in and says, we're taking your leg off. And I think he's kidding. And I find out he's not. And so obviously pretty traumatic. But yeah, um, I it, it was I, I just told this story to a bunch of uh, fifth graders the other day, uh, inner city school. And uh, it's my favorite story because I said, I went down a list. I always ask the kids, um, what would you say to this guy? Well, if, if the doctor comes in and says, you got to remove your leg, what would you say to him? And they get it. They say right away. They say, well, if you don't, how long could I live? That was my first response. Sure. Okay. Yeah. If you don't take it off, how many years have I got? And it's funny. I asked the kids, I says, I picked an age. What age would you pick that you could live to and keep your leg? And the kids go, 40. I goes perfect. I said, exactly what I said. Why? Really? And the kids go, because you're old. <laughs> <laughs> that seems old at that age. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not, not oh. when you're 74, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I got 34 more years out of the deal. So, yeah, I would have been pissed. But there was also another reason. I said, uh, yeah. And I says, they are old. That's what you think. I said, but I said, uh, what else? I said, and I help them along. I says, are they happy? They go, no. Oh, they're not happy. You know, they're talking about their parents. And I go, why? Because they got to work. And I said, right. What else? They go, because they got bills. Right. And then I, I tell them, yeah. And the third reason is they got you. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I said, now pick another age. And they go, 30. And I said, you're right. That's the second age. Could you? He said, no, you can't make it to 40. I said, 30. Because I figured at 30, people are still having fun. Right. And and uh, and, it had, and he goes, no, not even 30. And I go, 20? No. And I now I'm down to two years. I'm going, how about two? I'm trying to bargain for stupid me. Like, Give me two years. And there's right. uh, no. So and I says, then I started asking a lot of questions. I said, uh, uh, will I be able to run? Because that was one of my passions. He's no. Because uh, I want to take my leg off at the hip. And oh, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. yeah it was, well, the thing is, this disease even today, in those days, if a this was before chemo, if a hundred kids got it, okay, ninety five died. All right, wow. one of the lucky five, five. So, oh my God, yeah. So they, I said to him, next thing I'll be able to walk. Yeah, we'll get you an artificial leg. And I said, how about um, can I ride a bike? I had just received a new bike. I think it was a dirty trick my parents pulled on me to give me a new bike before I go in to get my leg. <laughs> right. Amputated. Had one, one pedal on it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he says to me, impossible. Here's a, here's a Harvard-trained surgeon, 55 years old or so, Mass General. Uh, people are flying in from all over the world to get operated on by this guy. And he tells a 13-year-old kid, impossible. Right. Oh. And so I go out and, you know, I'm back on the street with the kids and I'm recuperating, and my brother is driving my brand-new bicycle. So uh, so the desire was there. And this is, you know, again, for young comics, anybody out there, you know, in order to succeed, there's, there is a burning desire in you. And a lot of times we don't know where it comes from. We don't know why we're comics, really. Right. You right. know, that, that seed was planted, you know. And so um, I want – every time he got off it, I would jump on it. And at that time, parents were home. During the, women, you know, mothers were home. Right. And all the kids would want to get their mother. And I guess this was my first uh, introduction to drama. 
they would pull me off and I, I, oh, I acted it up. I want to drive the bicycle. But at the meantime, my head is going, thank God you showed up because I don't have to try this. Because they told me if I fell this way, which is without my leg, I would possibly hit my head and die. They told mm. me you could die. If right. you don't do that, you're going to die. And first of all, nobody had ever done it. This is back in 1960. Okay. Wow. They, they had never seen, nobody had ever seen an amputee riding a bicycle. Yeah. So, so they kept taking me up, blah, blah, blah. So one day I got on it and nobody came. And I loved the drama because I said to the kids, why did I like the drama? Because I got all this attention. Attention, right. And, and I didn't have to try it. You see, I blamed them. They, so they wanted to see it. They wouldn't let me do it. Oh, they wouldn't let ah. me. They wouldn't let me. So I could get off. Big man, you know, I spooked all of you. I, I wanted to, yeah. And I'm sitting there going, oh, thank God. Thank God they come. So one day I get on. It was a late day in August. Everybody's getting ready to go back to school. I get on the bike and I'm all alone. Everybody runs, but nobody comes. And it's a long time. It's Usually they're there in seconds somebody's mother's dragging me off this thing. And I'm sitting there like, oh, you know, folks, uh, let's get the show on here. This is no fun. I'm here. And then the voice, the little voice comes in and goes, ride the bike. And I'm like, hello. And it goes, ride the bike, kick off. I kick off. I don't fall. I got balance. It was a three speed. So I was able to pull the, the pedal up backwards. Yep. Reach down. I pull it up and I push and I'm off. And I get up and I push again and I'm off again. And I'm going, oh, my God, I'm doing this. I'm doing it, right. It's like a scene out of Forrest Gump. All the mothers come down. Yeah, there when he's running. And they're running after me. Get off the bike. You'll kill yourself. And I'm I'm free. I'm like a bird. You know, right. I'm, I'm doing the impossible. And I'm now able to get, oh, get on this bike with all the other kids and go party with the kids. Right. And uh, – Everybody knew that day, including myself, they had seen a miracle. And so doctors started taking me into <clears throat> hospitals. They were using Super 8 film to, to, to take pictures. Of I shocked them. Yeah. And they were sending it to teaching colleges, all, uh, you know, medical schools all over the country. And um, so it was my first time at, of understanding, which is essential for any comic or anybody in life, that you don't quit. Right. That's right. an awesome story, man. Wow. Yeah, what I mean, an unbelievable story. And, and what I tell the kids, I says, if somebody tells you that something is impossible, they're lying. They are lying to you. I says, because they don't know what you're capable of. Right. Only that you know. Doctor, that doctor didn't know that I was going to keep trying. Mm-hmm. He didn't know the desire I had. He didn't right. know the the commitment that I was I was going to keep trying and sooner or later get it some right. way I was going to figure this out. So I said, at, so to learn that at thirteen, wow, to learn that at thirteen, if somebody says it's possible, you're like, yeah, watch. And yeah, right. You're right, absolutely. With comedy, with with magic, with all of it, there were times when you're like, "Oh my God, you just get beat up so bad." Right. Yeah, but you learned at 13 to overcome that obstacle. Right. That you know, some of these other obstacles later on in life must seem oh, like. Well, what I learned is, see, at 13, I had, in order to be successful, you got to have more important than goals, but goals are essential. You have uh-huh. to have a mission. 
you have to have a reason why. Like for with comedy, we don't know really why we're doing this, but we're we're blessed, we're anointed right. and cursed at the same time. We have to do this. Right. And so um, here's this. You know, I I, I get this thing that I, I uh, and so to get my immediately, I was in the setback position. All right, I'm no longer a normal kid able to run faster than the other kids. I can't play ball. I can't do these things. Um, I'm disabled. Right. Right. Which, which I absorbed very well because I started to own the fact that I was different. Yeah. See, I said, wait a minute, I'm special. I didn't look at it totally as a, as I'm disabled. I looked at it. I'm special. Right. Because I'm not no longer like the other kids. I have to do things differently. Right. And, uh, so I learned in order to get back, I had to learn to set goals. I had to learn to to take a setback. So those are the things that that you do. You know, when I talk a lot of times that you're right, I did a lot of corporate speaking and I talked to uh, cancer groups and cancer survivor groups. And I got to the point where I really didn't enjoy it because there was a lot of victimization yeah. A lot of poor me, we survived. And I, I started right. to tell them, I said, first of all, I'm thrilled to be here, but I have to tell you, I do not like the word cancer survivor. I says, because <clears throat> it is one step above being a victim. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not like, it doesn't make it, that term doesn't make it sound like you did anything to overcome it. It just so happened that you made it through. You were a victim that made it through. And these people are celebrating this for 25 years. I made it. I made it. And I'm like, well, the best thing they did for me, one of the best things, they they took me down to Boston, to the Boston YWCA. There was a gal there who was teaching disabled kids how to swim. I didn't know how to swim. I had been in the water all my life, but, you know, usually jumping waves or something else or playing. Within a couple of weeks, I'm now swimming. I'm doing something. So I went from being a survivor to a player. Right. Yeah. I'm swimming. I'm swimming. You yeah. more than compensated for what? Well, you weren't just surviving, right? Right. So now I'm a player, but now you see, because I'm I was athletic and competitive. When we swam, <laughs> I started beating the other kids. I got now I got at least three limbs, and I'm strong and fast. So now I go from being a player to a winner. You see, and I'm I'm beating quote unquote normal kids. So then it got very interesting. Um, I started to win a lot. In fact, I'd enter races and I started to become, I talked, I started to move from being a winner to a champion. I, and I also learned how to ski, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Well, I said, so now I'm in a different mindset than survivor, aren't I? I'm certainly not a victim. Yeah. I'm not a survivor. I am now a player, a competitor. Right. Champion. And I said, you know, if you, if you look back and if you're champion long enough, what happens? What's the next step? Well, the next step is <laughs> you're a coach, aren't you? You know, this is right. where we know okay. this day, Brady will be a coach, will he not? You know, now now you're just showing off, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> now, now you're just showing off. No, no, but that's great because that's your, awesome. To your point, you're you didn't just survive, you didn't just get through, you took that and then went even further with it. Right. You built you kept building on it. Yeah. And then I say once you become a coach, then the next step is you become a mentor. Right. You start writing articles, you start the, the coaches come to you. And the coaches yeah. want to know, how do you get to your stage? And I said, the last part is the big jump is to become a healer. 
And what do we do with comedy? What is the greatest feeling? How many times have Benjamin hugged and said, oh, my uh, God, right? Yeah. Thank you. I Thank have you a tonight. You made my night. Yeah. And so there's this big journey from victim to survivor to healer. Yep. And you can probably understand why I'm a little upset with the times, which seems to be, oh, they can't. This is what I hear right. all the time is yeah. we can't. And right. it's this acceptance. It drives me crazy, yeah. you know, because I'm here preaching empowerment. Like when I speak to this inner city school last Friday, I'm there for one reason to say, you can do this. You could do anything you want, but That's it's right. going to take work. It doesn't just That's come to you. Right. And, but if you settle yeah. into, I can't, or the, the odds are too great, or the system is stacked against me, you've lost. Right. You've right. lost. And, and so anyway, it's, you know, it's, um, and, and if I didn't have the comedy, if you think of the steps, I got really good on stage. So when it came time to speak, I, again, I had all these tools I could make. Right. Them. You had the skills I could, already. I could tell the stories. Right. And uh, so, well, and that's I, what, I think comedians make very, very good public speakers. Yeah, because we're well, storytellers uh, already. And, and we've spoken to Judy Carter and Darren LaCroix, both very successful uh, public love, speakers. Love, love Judy Carter. Oh, my God. Right. Yes. Right. And they teach not only are successful public speakers, but they teach it. And both of them have their base. They started in stand up and yep. became these very successful public speakers. Yep. I think stand up helps you again yeah. to kind of come full circle with disarming a crowd, winning a crowd over and helps you with that public speaking aspect Dealing. Like you, you did with Toastmasters. Right. Dealing yeah. with adversity, you know how to come out yeah. of that. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because, you know, you've talked a lot about uh, a lot about, you know, <laughs> overcoming adversity and stuff like that. But what are some wow moments in your career? Like the, the times where you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm playing this or I can't believe I'm in front of this audience or, or I can't believe I'm working with this person. Right. Or, right. Again, destiny, you know, you start to I think the. You know, it's very easy, and I think a lot of comics, one of their problems is they get very egotistical, mm -hmm. um, and they think it's, you know, they're geniuses because they can land a good joke or slay an audience, and, you know, that's when the setup, that's what uh, I think you said, Donovan said, um, that's when you get the big slap in the yep. face and you get yep. on your ass, and so you start to understand, wait a minute, maybe I'm really not driving the bus here, you know? <laughs> maybe yeah. there's some some intangible that is guiding me through life. So in, in answer to that, yeah, so uh, Dominic Ventry, who booked Nick's, really liked my act, and um, and especially because I worked clean, and yeah. especially because I had a novelty. Right. So all of a sudden, uh, he says, ah, Tommy, uh, Henny Youngman's coming to town, and I want you to open for him. Wow. So imagine... Henny Youngman, take my wife, please. You know, right? Oh my God, that's so, a legend, <laughs> absolute legend. This is Yoda. This is when I met. Yes, this exactly. Yeah, Yoda. He would just stand up and go boom, 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 boom. And you, know, there was more than the, the delivery and the things. It was his aura, his personality, his confidence. Yep. And so I worked with him for three weekends, uh, every wow. Friday and Saturday, two or three shows a piece. And I'm driving him around. I'm his chauffeur. I pick him up at the hotel. We're driving. Getting to know him. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I can't believe this is. How does this happen? Wow. <laughs> 
I don't, I didn't ask for this. Yeah. He is. He's right beside me, you know? And, uh, he told me all kinds of stories, one of which I think comedians will love and will dear to our heart. He goes, don't let anybody ever take this from you. They will try. You know, he's talking about relationships. Yeah. They're going to want you to stop. <laughs> she says, because this is competitive this yeah. Yeah. from them and they're jealous of it. But don't, right. don't let anybody take this from you. And then wow. one night, the last night I was with them, he goes, oh, so tell me, kid, he goes, uh, how'd you lose your leg? So I go through kind of what I did with you. I says, yeah, about, yeah. Penny, I'm, I, I learned to ride a bike. I learned to swim. I ski, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I know, kid, because you got guts. And I said, oh, thank you. He goes, you know how I know you got guts? I said, no. He says, because I've seen your act. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he says to me, I use that on Burl all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so not long after that, Dominic says, Phyllis Diller decides to come out of retirement. She had been out of retirement, out of in retirement for years. I mean, right. she was, she was the first female stand-up comedian ever. Okay. Right. And yep. she was everywhere at every variety show, concerts, movies, she was on top of the world. Yeah. They went up to Nick's. That's where they brought her in. The parking lot at at the uh, Kowloon looked like Vegas. Stretch limousines really? all the way Route 1, all throughout the parking lot. People in tuxedos. People dressed up like they were going to Vegas. Phyllis right. is coming down. And oh, boom. Shit. Came. And did you, you've, you've played Nick's, right? Yeah. The, yeah. At, at the Kowloon? Yeah, the the upstairs room. Yeah, and you know, when they pull back the dividers, how big that room is? Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's that's what they did. There had to be 500 people. Yeah, it was like a Vegas showroom, like a Vegas ballroom, right? And I'm opening for Phyllis Dillon. Wow. You know, and I'm nervous as hell, blah, blah, blah. I did well. So the second week was out at a place in Framingham called the Chateau. Same deal. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Right. Same deal. The, 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 the gowns, the tuxedos, the whole thing. So for three weekends, I worked with her, but couldn't get close to her. She had her road manager, et cetera. Yep. So one guy, there was a guy that uh, used to do Simon Says, and uh, he and he was really good at it. And he made a living at it. And, and he'd, he'd do it at corporate parties, whatever. Yeah. And he comes up to me. I had run into him a few times at shows. And he says, hey, Tom, I got these albums from um that phyllis did he says could you get the monograph for me i goes i said i don't know i haven't been able to get close to her but i'll try right so I on the door the road manager comes out cute gal i says hey listen uh somebody i know i hope don't mean to impose but this guy asked me if i could um get the sign for an autograph she says i'll see and she gets it on and i go <laughs> like, doo, 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 doo. yeah right she comes up and she goes, Miss Diller, we'll see you now. You're like, I just wanted them signed. I didn't think I'd get an audience. Right. Now, this is a great story because it shows the magic of today. This is kind of, again, one of my pet peeves is people are so involved with cuckoo stuff here. We've forgotten that this is the miracle age of all miracles. We are virtually in television studios in our own homes. Yeah. 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 Look at what we're doing now, right? We can broadcast to the world. There's no there's nobody saying to us no. 
Right. Right. You know, so our message, these stories can be broadcast. Yeah. Right. The magic age of all magic age. So Miss Stiller will see me now. <laughs> so I walk in and I'm like, wow. And I said to her, she goes, oh, I'm very pleased to meet you. I've heard you. You're doing a great job. Thank you. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. I goes, I said, Phyllis, I said, you, 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 do, you don't know what this means to me. I said, I used to watch you. I was like five or six years old sitting in, in the, this little house in Roxbury, in this little apartment, with, and, and you're on black and white television. Yeah. And my parents, my Italian mother and grandmother, they'd run to see you. Right. And they'd in the house here, they'd, they'd, have, they'd, be, they'd be cutting up veal, and they're standing with pieces of veal in their hand, and they're going, and they're laughing and laughing. I says, at the time, I thought, I am never going to go to the cities that you were performing in. I said, right. an impossibility to me to, to go to New York or to go to LA. And I'm watching you. Never mind. Yes. And I said, I'd never see you live. Never mind. I'd be working with you. And this, standing in front of you, getting to talk to you. This is, this is an impossibility from that point in time at yeah. five years old watching her on movies and everything and i'm working with her right and right. we're talking as pros this is all just being swept away and she said well she says isn't that great and she says and we started talking about positive yeah and negative and she said yeah i don't know why there's so much negativity there's so much to celebrate so she said to me um I knew something about her life because I used to, when I was teaching sales, I used to talk about the fact that she used to take her picture, put it on a refrigerator, and then surround it with Milton Berle, with Jack Benny, with um, uh, Johnny Carson, with Bob Hope, all these great comedians. comedians. And she, yeah. Every day, she would see herself with them. It. And she says... I was the first female. I vowed. She said, I was 37 years old. I had five kids. I was writing copy for an advertising company. And I decided, I don't know why, she says, but I wanted to be the first female stand-up comedian ever. She says, Tony Fields told jokes, but she sang. She didn't do straight stand-up. Right. She said, so I got this book called The Magic of Believing by Claude Bristol. And I read that book every single year, every single day for two years. I read sections. And that was one of the tricks, was to see myself in that company. And she yep. says, and in two years' time, I became that woman. Wow. And so she says to me, this is the best part. This shows you, <laughs> this shows the genius of the genius. She says, I'll send you the book. And I'm uh, like, wow. Yeah, of course you will. Yeah, of course, you know. Yeah. Two weeks later, a brown envelope comes to the house. Open it up. It's the book. And it's autographed. Tom, right. working with you. I know you'll love this book. Love Phyllis. <laughs> Holy wow. shit. Okay. And, and an 8 by 10 glossy headshot, right? Headshot sign. Okay. I mean, how's wow. this? Come on, really, guys. How's this happen? You know, this isn't planned. We don't yeah. sit down and plan. Someday I'm going to work with Phyllis Diller. No. You know, and, and wow. so, but so now I, I got to work with Pat Cooper, who was the great Italian comedian. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, Pat, very yeah. well. I'm, the company, we, Fuji, uh, there's a big convention in Chicago every year called the Radiology Society of North America. And they hired out Second City. They hired the whole place for one night. Yep. We had 
thousands of guests, whatever. And so they rent the place out. And so little to my knowledge, because I was doing stand-up, the gal who was arranging it, the meeting planner, told them that, <laughs> that I was going to do stand-up comedy there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> who needs this freaking pressure, right? Yeah. You know? So she comes up to me, and it, it's all set. I'm going to go. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to follow them. I've got to follow them. Oh, my God. Them. Now, these guys are ready to go from Second City to Saturday Night Saturday Live. Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you're talking like uh, Chevy Chase and yeah. oh, yeah. uh, Jane oh, yeah. Curtin and Dan Aykroyd. Eugene Levy, Eugene John Levy. Candy, yeah, right. you know, a bunch of and nobodies. Like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? And during the first half of the show, it had been raining for like three days in New York. I'm like, it was usually snowing. And they had tile ceilings, and the, one of the tiles broke loose and dumped all this water on the radiologist and their beautifully attired wives in yeah. their meat coats and everything else. So I'm going, oh, my God, now I got this to deal with. And uh, so she comes up during intermission and goes, uh, uh, Shecky Green's in the audience. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Holy <laughs> shit. Talk about royalty. Okay, I, I'm going. I don't need to. I don't need you fucking with me. I don't. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, said, I said. First of all, I am ready to bomb in front of every important everyone I work with. Life. Yeah. But I says I'll never be able to live this night down. It's not like I walk away from this. They will remember this forever, as long as my career. Right. And I said a whole bunch of water just jumped on these people. They're not in a good mood right now. Right. And not, you're messing with me. She goes, No, he's here. I go, wow. now he's my favorite comedian of all comedians because he was a comedian's comedian. Right, right. right. Above, he was crazy. So she goes, come on, I'll introduce you. <laughs> come on, wow. I'll introduce you. Before you go down in flames, come meet the guy yeah. you look up to. Exactly. What happened is he... He they he was with his entourage. He was like Frank. They always traveled with their pack, you know. And he yep. they went in a cab and said, "What's hot in town?" And of course, every cab was going to Second City. And so yep. they said, yeah, "Something's going on over at Second City." So he walks in, and she looks at him and says, uh, uh, "Are you Shecky Green?" She was a pretty funny gal herself. He goes, "Yeah." He says, "Well, we have a private thing." He goes, oh, "Okay, I'll leave." She goes, "No, no, 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 no. You're Shecky Come on Green." In. Yeah, right. right. I says, oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, right. You couldn't have sent them home. <laughs> so I go over, I meet him, and I tell him about Phyllis Stiller. Yeah. And he says, you know, and I'm doing, trying small talk. What do you say to your idol? You know, right, right. And, blood. and I'm like, uh, what are you doing, Shecky? You still, no, I retired. He says, you know, I'd be doing two or three shows a month, and my timing was off, so I figured I'd quit. And no, 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 no. I said, well, I just opened for Phyllis. He goes, she's back. She's goes, back, yeah. right. And I goes, you open for her? I goes, yeah, yeah. Well, how'd she do? So it was great. So he goes, well, he says, I, I, I'm anxious to see you. And I'm like, oh, wow. I don't need this pressure. So talk about the pressure. Yeah. So they give me the, the cast gives me the worst introduction you can imagine. You know, of course, here's, here's one of your own, Tom Hanks or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Hey, here's a guy that works out of Schenectady, New York. He's one of your own. Uh, we he dabbles in comedy. How about a yeah, hand for Tommy yeah, Hayes? Yeah. We got Tom from Accounting coming up yeah. right now. Right. <laughs> and uh, by the way, Shecky Green is at table twelve. <laughs> and, oh. and and the entire. The, the entire rainstorm just dumped on the floor. Yes, yeah, right. Yes. While you guys are drying off. While you guys are mopping <laughs> up your tables. So wow. I'm, I'm like this. Uh, and I'm thinking, how do I? 
what do I do? So I got on stage. I said, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the uh, second annual Fuji comedy and annual bath night. And I yeah. point to the table with all these people. Yeah. Look at them. And the, the big thing with thing is you had to get people to come to the booth so you could try to sell them. Right. Yeah. And so I looked, I looked at the table and I goes, next time come to the booth. <laughs> and the place exploded. Just oh my God. they launched. And I went, Oh my God, I got them. I got them. Yeah. And I owned them for half an hour. And the best part wow. was in the halfway through, I had them. I was so comfortable. I said, ladies and gentlemen, we're for a special treat tonight because in the audience is one of my favorite comedians of all time. And I'm sure you know him because you've seen him on the Tonight Show hosting time and time. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a nice round of applause to Mr. Shecky Green. <laughs> Shecky wow. takes the bow. The place goes crazy. Da, da, da. I get a standing ovation. Shecky wow. comes. I go to Shecky and he goes, uh, that was a good, really good set. He goes, uh, yeah. So he says to me, can I ask you a question? So he leaves his table and he pulls me over to a corner and he goes, the supreme compliment of any time of my, all my dears are coming. He goes, you open for Phyllis? That's true. I goes, yeah. He goes, let me ask you a question. He says, could she follow you? <laughs> wow. Oh, that is That's awesome. Awesome. You know, and I went, oh, you yeah. Are, you were on cloud nine at that oh, time. Cloud the, nine. A guy you looked up to said that to you? That's wow. it. That's, That's it. it. Green. And he was serious. I see he had no, seen, yeah. He's seen a, a miraculous set. I mean, even I knew it was like it was a, yeah, great just set, the stars right. were aligned that night. It was so wow. so let me ask you this, because I wanna I wanna touch on on this piece too. Cause more recently you did you start the toy company first and then the animation, or did it happen vice versa? Because I want to talk a little bit about yeah. that as well. This is again. You, you become more humble, at least I have, first of all, the fact that I'm still alive. I I wake up every single day going, thank you. Yeah. You know, it's uh, 62 years later, and I'm still here. Thank wow. you. And I should have Absolutely. been gone. Yeah, I should have been gone then. And and I, I just thank every single day I go down my blessings and thank you. So anyway, I retire at 52. Yeah. I, I was extremely successful as a salesman and as a sales manager, yep. and, um, you know, in spite of setbacks, in spite of a divorce and, you know, a lot of yeah. setbacks, I, 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 I made it. I, and in my dream, first of all, you got to understand in my head, you see, with this appreciation for life and knowing that there's a ticking clock that any time, any time this can come back. Yeah. Cause it does. Right. Back. Right. At, so, I'm blessed with – Stephen Jobs is one of the greatest philosophers of all time, and not only being an entrepreneur, because he said my time at, at, um, at, in Sanford when he gave his, uh, his, his address, mm-hmm. he said uh, – a commencement address, a famous speech. He says, my time is limited. I am not wasting it living somebody else's life. And I live with that every single day. This, like, I'm going – I don't know when I'm going to get the bad news. We all are going to get the bad news someday. Right, right. Like, but it's ticking in my head the whole time. So I'm going, I'm I'm retiring when I can. Yep. And I'm going to blow out my life. I'm going to do every, I'm going to kick every bucket list done. And, yep. Which I did. So I'm determined to just coast. So it's not long after I do it. Because I'm doing corporate speaking, everybody's telling me you need a book. So I start typing my biography out. Yep. 
and it was such a, a catharsis because I got to relive all of those years. And, and uh, here I am every day typing two or three hours a day, visiting people who are now dead. And, yeah. you know, I go from crying my eyes out to laughing my ass off. Right. This great roller coaster thing called life. And the computer breaks one day and I go down and in those days, if your food broke down, you got on the yellow pages, you looked up computer repair. Some guy came to you, a retired guy from Raytheon in a dirty coat and, yeah. cigarette, and he's got a Dunkin' Donuts styrofoam coffee. You give him your computer and off he goes and you're going, will I ever see that again? Right. Well, I get to my car and there's something out of the matrix. There's a lamppost with a, a little flyer somebody put, you know, those tear off things. And it says yeah. computer repair. And I'm like, is this the Matrix? <laughs> yeah, right. How do they know? In walks this kid, about 21 years old, black leather jacket, handsome as can be. And you're going, this is the guy. This is the hacker. This is who yeah. we want to have. So long story short, he and I decided I, he was going to do my newsletter. Think of this, guys. In 2004, we were sending out paper newsletters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You'd mail out a newsletter every once in a while to get business. So I was going to get right. mailing lists and this out to get business. And the gal I was dating at the time was a very, very funny gal. And we'd go back and forth over the phone and some very funny lines would come out. And I says, hey, in this newsletter, we should do a little comic strip. We got to get an illustrator. And that'll be one of the signatures of this thing. So, yeah. So I record the story that we're going to uh, illustrate. And he says to me before we do it, he says, before we do this, I want to show you something. So he takes me to a website called Foamy, which was simple animation, but good. It was flash yeah. animation with terrible jokes. What yeah. is it he was with animation? That's how horrible a joke writer he was. So I'm looking at it. I'm not impressed, except for the animation. I said to him, he had taught me about click rates. I said, what's the, what's the click rate on that thing? He goes, a million a day. Wow. Wow. I mean, this is before YouTube. Right, right. This is before YouTube. People are finding this on the in internet. And clicking on it, right. So he says to me, oh, I got a better one. He takes me to one called um, uh, Roadrunner or something. That uh, They'll come to me. And, and uh, two million on that a day. And I go, this is more than, than a sitcom gets. In right. A, you yeah. know, you do that seven days a week. Yeah. So I said, we're going into the animation business. Yeah. So long story short, um, in fact, Destiny comes in again. The gal who was his dispatcher had taken that day off. He, uh -huh. in turn, did a quick animation of the story. She comes back. She took the day off to quit. She was way too smart to be working as a dispatcher. She goes, uh -huh. what did you guys do over the weekend? He shows her the animation. She goes, that was my major in college. She goes, I know how to do this. Wow. Goes, oh, come on. Really? She goes, I know all the characters. She goes upstairs, comes back in an hour. She's got all of the characters written, all of the sketches done. And she goes, in, in the name of it, it's going to be called Basket Case Farm. This is all. Right. Yep. Hearing, you know, I'm done. I was going to go fishing, but now. <laughs> yeah. Now I got to work. Patient thing happening. Yeah. So she. Two weeks, she says, I can't keep up with the animation and do the other job. She says, I got a buddy who's uh, just graduating from Merrimack. Uh, we can get him. So I interview the guy. I get the, it's, again, this is 2004. I get him <laughs> right out of college to animate for me for 15000 a year. All right. And I'm wow. like, the gig. 
Three weeks into it, now again, all the characters are vegetables. Yeah. And we're making, we're making, we're doing the voices. He's up, at, we're in a house, we got this house rented, and we're making videos and we're putting them out. The, yep. again, the hacker has figured out all these sites all over the world where he can plant these animations. We're we'll getting 10,000 right. views a day. Wow. He comes in one day, he was a heavy, heavy on the, on the pot. Yep. Hey, dude, man, last night, man, I thought of a character, man. I thought of the Boston Baked Bean, man. And I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, man, like, that would fit with our characters, you know, man? And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Boston's yeah. been in town for right. 375 years, known as Town, and nobody has thought No of one's it. ever thought of that? Right. I go right down to a patent lawyer, attorney, and boom, copyright them. I trademark them. And now we're using them in all these cartoons. Then I get a, it dawns on me, I got to bring this to Menino, the mayor. Yep. I got to tell him we got the mascot for the city. I don't even have the mascot. I tell, I tell him, do a Photoshop with an image of the bean. Yep. We send it to him. We don't hear for anything for three or four weeks. And I figure, yeah. And they're all yelling at me, why are you bothering him? I says, you always go to the top. Yeah, right. You know? Boom, I got a phone call from you better come to the office. We got an email from the mayor. Wow. They want the bean in the celebration of the 375th birthday parade for the city of Boston. Wow. Jeez. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is like, and we don't even have the suit yet. So we're like, <laughs> now you gotta make one, right? So long story short, Menino embraces the thing. We're in every parade, we're getting the glow. The city's going crazy over this concept. Yep. Now I said, we got to make money. We got to get something to sell. So I think of a toy. Yep. And it was funny because I had all young kids working for me. They did. They went to a first Comic-Con that ever came to Boston. And there was a toy maker there. And I kept saying, get that guy. Get that guy. We're going to make a toy. I wanted to make a small. I should have had some here today. Yeah. Small collectible plastic toy. And they kept saying, oh, you won't return a call. So finally I got the number. I called the guy. He goes, nobody ever called me. <laughs> so anyway, now we're making toys. And wow. now the toys explode. The kids go crazy. We're, we've, we're selling like locally in um, certain towns. Yep. There's pandemonium. There's a, these things are the rage. And we can't make them fast enough. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, my God. You know, what have we created? And we're going to Comic-Con conventions. It gets crazier. Kurt Schilling, who was, you know, had his studio yeah. working on that game that he took the state yeah, of we, we Rhode Yeah, we don't mention that in Rhode oh. Island that much. <laughs> <laughs> Ixnay on the on the early eight, early eight studios. Well, he was living in Medfield where the town, where the toys were the rage. Yep. And. I'm sitting across from Kurt Chilling. He goes, hi, I'm Kurt Chilling. I walked into his office. He goes, hi, I'm Kurt Chilling. I goes, yeah, I think I, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and he wants to buy the company for this ridiculous property. And he's telling me, I can make this. Uh, there was a toy called Webkins at the time. He says, I yeah. can. Oh, yeah. Remember Webkins? Oh, he yeah. said, I can make this the next Webkins. Yeah. And he's ready to buy us for like ridiculous amounts of money. And then he pulls his shoulder out. So all of a sudden, you know, eight million a year is gone. Right? Yeah, right. He doesn't have that expendable income right. any so, longer. But all of these insane things getting in front. Of, we finally ended up in front of 
um, Viacom, yep. Sherry Redstone, Sumner Redstones, yeah. Viacom, which owns Paramount, which owns Nickelodeon, which owns MTV, which owns Comedy Central, which owns la 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 la. Yeah, la. yeah. they own everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he is supporting <laughs> us. This is just insane. It's like it's like the Matrix. Crazy things keep and she's courting becoming a partner in the company to put us on Nickelodeon. Wow. At the same time, we go to New York to raise money because my C I I, I hired a CEO. He was um had a friend who had a property from England. And he approached him. Well, I knew what happened as soon as we walked into this big boardroom. You know, we're down on Madison Ave. In this big boardroom with all of these angel investment, capital investment firms, big money. And what he's going to do is he's hired a guy to come in and nix it. And so he doesn't have to say to his friend, it won't work. No, right. Well, the guy he brings in is a guy named Rick Sigelkoff. Rick Sigelkoff won eight Emmys with Thomas the Train. Thomas oh, the Train. wow. He, he brought Thomas the Train over from... England, England, yep. Hired Ringo, Ringo Starr, yeah, and won eight Emmys for that property. Wow. He comes in to shoot us down. Instead, and he, he loves has, it. He, he says he picks up the toys. He goes, "I can make this bigger than Thomas." Wow! Can I have a job? I goes, "We don't have any money." He goes, "I don't care." So he, he says, I'm going to make this bigger than Thomas. Thomas sold to Mattel about three years ago for $800 million. Oh, yeah. Oh, Huge. My God. Huge. Okay. So he says, we're going to the top. Well, we were doing that until 2008 came along, and there was another kick in the nuts, <laughs> bringing me back. My head's going like this. We're, yeah. We made it. We're over the finish line, and then, boom, the recession hits. And it all goes. Now it gets very interesting because basically I lost everything. I lost my retirement. I lost everything. Wow. And but I know deep down that it happened for a reason. Just as we've been saying all night long, you know that that set that knocks you back and says you're yeah, right. Get to work again. So I knew there had to be more work. And now the problem is, if we had sold it at that time. We would have given up all rights, especially to content. We had no content. We were on right. the verge of creating content. Yeah. But all we had was a strong toy property right. and, a, and, a, and a Bible and, and, a, and a theme and a yeah. concept. Well, Tammy Pooler, who – you know Tammy? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Well, Tammy yeah. had a – is not only she's, – she's a genius. She's not only a great – comedian but she's an entrepreneur she owns about at one time she owned about six retail shops she's she's got six grandkids she's the she's the renaissance woman all right anything she touches she's now doing photography and she's making tons of money at that anything she touches turns to gold and so she started she had a used uh children's used store and she started buying my toys she called me up one day she goes tom there were kids wrestling on the floor. I've never seen wow. in two years of owning this, kids fighting this for these toys. Well, she dropped out of comedy for three or four years. We got back together, and uh, she says, how are the toys going? I said, nah, it's done. I said, yeah. Says, I'm, and here's where – now, I started podcasting six years ago, all right, and at least. 
And I was just doing it like you guys. I was bringing comedians in. We're doing. Yep. One day I put down the phone. I have no money. I'm down. I'm dead in the water. I have no way of taking this property and moving it forward. I can't do all the things I wanted to write books, stories. And all of a sudden I put the phone down from the podcast and I hear the little voice comes back and goes, stupid, do a kid's podcast. And I went, Oh my wow. God. All right. Now this is six, seven years ago. So I tell Tammy, because now she and I are working together. She's come back and would and she is an amazing storyteller. And I was I started using my little camera to make videos of her and started putting them up on YouTube for her. Mm-hmm. So I said, Tammy, I said, this weird thing happened. I said, uh, I heard this voice tell me to she goes, Well, I don't understand. Who are the characters? What's the story? I said, Well, it's kind of like retro fifties. The the Bucky, he works in a garage and she works in a soda shop. And, uh, and now her husband's pumping gas cause we're on the way to the gig. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, you want to do one now? I goes, sure. I take out the phone. She said, well, what's the premise? I said, okay, let's say he's coming out of work. He's going to her, the soda shop and he's coming to get his favorite ice cream. And you, uh, tell him it's running out cause you're selling it. And the reason he told you to, you was to keep it a secret. So it would always be there. Okay, let's go. We put the phone on and we start. Hey, Bucky. Hey, Betty. I'm on my. Oh, Joe. She answers the phone. I'm. You know, this is Betty. I'm at the shop. You know, and oh, I, Betty. This is Bucky. Oh, Bucky. You're coming over. Yeah, I'm coming on my way over. She goes. Well, you better hurry because I'm selling your ice cream. Yep. <laughs> and he's like, uh, "What do you mean you're selling my ice cream? I, I I told you that as a secret not to sell my ice cream. Yeah, Bucky. But I know why you told me. And she, we're we're nonstop. This yes. is. Yeah, off the cuff. I know you told me to do it, but now I know why, because it's selling like crazy. And I'm like, um, and, and, and immediately she's a genius. She goes, I'm getting all worked out. I told you because I trusted you. And she goes, Bucky, <laughs> I'd like to keep talking to you, but there's somebody at the window. I got to go sell. And now she leaves me talking to myself. And I'm going, I can't believe she done this. And I keep rolling. She comes back. Oh, oh Bucky, Rocky wants to tell you. Thank you. Rocky, Rocky who? Rocky the rock star or Rocky the race car? Because Bucky's a race car driver. Rocky yep. the race car driver. He goes, the race car driver. I said, why? She's like, he tells me that your ice cream's delicious. And I'm like, wait a minute. You sold my ice cream to my competitor? And she goes, yeah, yeah. So, oh, I can't talk now, but there's somebody else at the window. And I'm freaking out. So this goes yep. on for eight minutes. And the husband comes in. Um, he comes back to the <laughs> – and the we're car. laughing like crazy. We got it all recorded. He yeah. goes, what are you laughing about? We play it from him. He goes from being sitting upright to horizontal, dying. Laughing. I had been working with her almost once a week. We got really close. I had encouraged her to do comedy rap songs. Yep. She had, by accident, found uh, walked into one of her shops, a sound engineer, just starting out. She recorded these songs with him. And then made videos from them. She goes, let's go to the studio. Wow. We make an appointment. We Again, we walk into the studio, nothing prepared, nothing written, just premises. Yeah. In two hours, we, we record five 10-minute stories. Okay? Wow. And so long story short, over five years, we recorded 14 comedy albums, 14 animated shorts that some of them I've turned into animation. And um, so we're all set. We're 
raring to go. And again, don't ask me how. Right. The forces came to be. It just happens. And, yeah. And well, you, you seem to be a guy that's always in a creative mode mindset, you know even when yeah. you were you in sales your your mind is always in a, a creative you know mindset when you when you're you're doing your comedy when you're doing the magic you know you're doing these animation things you're always prepared to create which you know is is pretty impressive that you can kind of flip that switch and okay i'm in creation mode now let me turn on my right. phone while we're in the car and right. let's create something in, in the moment and everything well, here, like that and sometimes that's where you find the best stuff well, is here, creating in the moment yeah and and it's always mysterious it's like how the hell is this happening you know but I'll recommend a book for all you young comedians out there and anybody who's listening. It's called The um, War of Art, and it's written by a guy named Stephen Pressfield. And he wrote the movie The Legend of Bagger Vance, which yeah. if you've never seen it, it's oh, yeah. Will Smith. Great movie. Yeah, great movie. Very spiritual movie. Yeah. And yep. So it's not the art of war. It's the war of art. And what he says in that book is between you and where you want to be on any point in your life, your goal, your mission – there's a thing called resistance and it's real. Yeah. The only way it's real, it's going to show up just like we said about the, the failures, yeah. you know, yeah. all, all the naysayers, all of the, it's there. That's trying to knock you off that path. This is the battle you're going to have to go through. Right. And he said, and it's real. And he says, the only way to overcome this resistance is to go to work. Yep. Every single day, no matter how you feel, continue to work and he says eventually the muse is coming right the muse will show up he says i don't care what you call it god the universe the muse but it's coming because it knows you're you're out there just to answer your question right you're, you're being creative you're trying to give something new to the world right and whoo, it shows up wow you know well as as you brought up the the naysayers and the obstacles the resistance and the resistance the resistance was the word that really made me think of it cuz we we as we as we get ready to wrap up i think a great that was a great way to put it is resistance our favorite question that we love to ask all of our comedian friends <laughs> and you may have one or two yeah or three is what we like to call the funny bad gig story now, those are the stories, Tom, that at the time that it was happening, not funny. No. Not funny at all. Made you actually want to quit comedy. Made you think, you know, I think Enterprise Rent-A-Car might be hiring. Yeah, exactly. And then a week or two weeks or three weeks later, however long it took you to go over that pain, you're hanging out in a green room, you're hanging out with comics, you're in the car with Tammy, and she tells you about a bad gig she had or another comic tells you about a bad gig, and you're like, oh, yeah, listen to this one. And this is your kind of one-up story or your funny story that you tell other comics when you're comparing the war stories. Yeah, well, I think, uh, again, the one that stands out is the one I told earlier. Here's Barry Katz. Yeah. <laughs> Barry that's, Katz. A, that's a pretty damn good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Nina, and I'm riding high. I think I got it. My girlfriend's horny. She wants to get back to the apartment and have a good time. And <laughs> come on, let's go. I can't. I got one more show. And I'm on a roll. I'm going to rock this joint. 
and silence in my whole entire career. I never yeah. went a half an hour, but the only response I got from the audience was, why don't you disappear? <laughs> I love that line. Yeah, I would say it, that's they, a good one. That's, a, that's a, something that the crowd says as a heckle. You cannot make that funny. You can't come oh, oh. back from that. Uh, you just have to sit in that. Oh, yeah. On yeah. stage as a comic, you just have to just wallow in that. And there's no way of getting out of that at that you moment. Know, I, I remember seeing um, um, uh, Bill Cosby interviewed once and he talked about bombing. He says, and when you're bombing, you're on stage and every, every, every ounce of moisture has just escaped. And he says, but for one little sweat, deed that's running down your back and it's going you're not funny you're not funny, you're <laughs> yeah. not funny. so true yeah and with stand-up the worst part is we unlike improv unlike being on a play it's you are alone yep, yep. you have yep. no one else to rely you, on you it's know what, all that, you that's kind of the yin and yang of stand-up because when you're doing great you know that was all you you created it, you you performed it, you pulled that off, that was you, and there's no better feeling. But the opposite side of that is when it's going down like the Titanic, that's it's all you. You, yeah. <laughs> you did it. That you is, created it. Nobody else is sinking that ship other than you, nope. and that's all on you, well, you and know, that's just the way that it is. And that's, but, you know what, but that's the great thing about it. Well, too. you know, you finally get to that point where – you really have to not give a damn. That's when you become dangerous. When you really start to say, this is just a show. This is not me. Yeah. And, uh, Kevin Meany. Used oh, to have, rest in peace, him. Kevin. Great yeah. guy. He used to have a bit when he'd be bombing. He would just look at me. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> the crowd isn't laughing. I don't care. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was that was so brilliant then, when he did that because they, they would well, start laughing when he did that. But oh, what I what I also loved about it is he wouldn't stop because then he'd get him back and yep. he's like, no. I'm going to make you pay yes, yes. for what you did to me. One more <laughs> time. I don't care. Yes. I yes. Don't he, care. Would, he would do that classic thing that so many people do of you do it and you get a quick laugh. Yep. And then you keep doing it. And the crowd is like, all right, enough already. And then you do it long <laughs> enough that it becomes funny again. to bring him back. Like, you are not. I'm not letting you off the hook until you laugh again. Yeah, yes, this. yes. You just keep yep. going until it becomes funny again. Well, and he did that every time with that. And yep. one of the things, one of the best weapons of all, is silence. When you get so comfortable yes. with silence, yeah. and that's happening, you see the the train going off the tracks, the ship sinking, <laughs> and all of that. And then you stop and you just go silence. Now there's you, so much, so much discomfort in the room. They're nuts. like. And, and you're there, totally fine, totally fine. Yeah. And now, now there's a dynamic that's changed. Yep. And you know yeah. what I, you know what I notice that works in sales too. Oh, the best, because we, you know, in sales now we call it positive tension. Yeah. Where you ask a question, and shut and up. You don't let them off the hook. You make them answer yes. you back, yeah. and you just right. keep quiet. And they'll look at you and they're waiting for you because most salespeople want to blurt out all the shit. And if you just stop and wait, 
it makes them so uncomfortable that they have to give you a, an answer. Right. Yeah. I, right. Yeah. I had a salesman who couldn't shut up. He could not shut up. I paid to send him to so many courses. I told him, <laughs> if you guys make this guy shut up, I'll give you thousands of dollars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and well, we, we were inside. We 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 did the clothes in a big hospital, six or seven people in the room. And he's sitting beside me. And I asked the question. And it's total silence, and it's getting very uncomfortable. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he starts, well, you know. <laughs> and I You're s- kicking him under the table? And everybody's looking at us, but yeah, it's he, just. He got the hint, though, right? Control. And when I learned that trick, took that from sales yeah. to the stage, very powerful. Absolutely. So, Tom, you mentioned your podcast. Can we promote it for you? What's your podcast? Yeah, it's called Upbeat uh, with uh, Tom Hayes. And we do everything. We we do comedians, but we also do motivational people. We do uh, – I got a guy who's do, written a few books about uh, gentrification and what's politics, et cetera. So thank you for doing that. And, and you know, talk about – this is – again, this is the miracle age of all miracle ages is that you can pick up the phone – and you're broadcasting. Yeah. 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 And you've got guests and, and everything else. And um, and I have to tell you, you guys are really good. I thanks. mean, oh, thanks, thanks, man. No, no, you guys thanks, are man. from podcaster to podcaster, you guys are solid. And I want to, you know, when the whole thing with COVID hit and all of a sudden we found out there's no gigs and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've read a few books about screenplay. And one of the things, uh, Save the Cat is my favorite book about screenplay. And in it, he talks about story and he talks about the fact that all basic stories are about the hero being in a state of, uh, of thesis. In other words, he's going about his daily life and then all yep. of a sudden there's an inciting incident yep. and he gets knocked into this upside down world. So he goes from thesis to antithesis. He's yep. in an upside down world. He's got a, that we've all had that yep. we've all had. And now, where am I? What am I doing? You know, how do I get out? And then the third act he has to uh, synthesis. He has to bring, he has to die as the old person. He has to be reborn. And he comes to this place called the dark night of the soul, where all is lost. We've all been there. Yep. Everything. And so from that point forward, and it's, if you if you look at a movie and you look at the timeline, it always happens with 20 minutes left. And in that yeah. 20 minutes, he has to assemble an army uh, of things, get his stuff together, yep. and he's got to regain the castle. So yep. when COVID hit, I said, this is it. This is the dark night of the soul. Think of, we've been talking about egos and I think, boy, yeah. they knocked on their butt pretty good, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And this is very important. So who is reinventing themselves? You guys. We are. Because, yeah. and, and think of, see, what's, Bucky Lewis and I were talking the other day, and I was able to watch uh, what we did. And I said, there's an ingredient that you guys have. There's an intangible this is not only educational and fun and laughs, but you make everybody comfortable. Thanks. You, we, uh, <laughs> no, you, are, you guys are true pros. So Thank you. It's not just, you know, the guests or this and that. It's not the jokes. It's that I, I came up for a word today that I want to get back to Bucky with this enjoyable. Thanks. Yeah. You you're in full command and you're great the way you play off each other. You're professional, and 
you see what people are watching when they watch you. They're watching a couple of pros. It's not like a couple of guys stumbling, and we know we've seen those podcasts. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think part of it, we, Tom, is we love doing it. Of course. And, and I think that translates when people listen and hopefully when people start watching is that we, we love talking to our guests and learning about our guests. We love the stories that, that right. people tell, and, and we love sharing that with people. And I, and I really think that come, comes across. Well, and that's the biggest the the biggest compliment to us is when one of our guests says something like that. Absolutely. So we had uh, we had Martin Olson on a couple of months ago. And I don't know if you remember Martin from the Ding Ho. He was one of the piano oh, players wow. at the Ding Ho. Yeah. Fabulous. Went on to move to L.A., was the head writer and showrunner for Phineas and Ferb for years. Unbelievable. Right. And now we had never met him. No. Right. We reached out to him because Paul Barkley was on and Paul was like, you guys are so much fun. You got to reach out to Martin Olson. We reached out to Martin. And by the end of the thing, he was like, man, I feel like I've known you guys forever. We want, I, you know, if I'm ever on the East Coast, I'd love to get a beer with you guys. And, yeah. and that makes us because we're not here for us. We're here so that people can learn about our guests. We don't. You know, we've told we, we've our already stories. told our stories. Exactly. Yeah. We want our guests know hear. us. Yeah, we want people to hear our guests. But but what makes this podcast great is the fact that we get to talk to people who like Tom. I don't even know the last time I got to work with you because we've said this. Once you reach headliner status, you no longer work with other headliners. Right. Times, That's true. You right. Know? So I haven't worked with you in probably 10, 15 years, but it's great to be able to reconnect and do this. Yeah. Absolutely. And what we're adding by these podcasts, I don't know where the hell this came from, but uh, what we're doing with this is we're adding another dimension, aren't we? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To and, what comedy is. And, and and what I found out this week by looking at it, I goes, wait a minute, there's an intangible that's indescribable. And what that tang intangible is, is comfort. Um, you, you, it's you want to hang in here and uh, and to hang with you guys because it's like you're relaxed. And and especially in these the the times are crazy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you one of the one of the things that we were nervous about because in the beginning we only did this podcast live. Like we would have wow. had you we would have had you down here uh you know and and hung out here which was great or for some of them because you know I don't know where are you living now? Are you in New Hampshire or are no, you in I, Boston? Again, again, destiny stepped in. I was living in Southie. Yep. And, uh, you know, so in one afternoon, like <laughs> I was doing some consulting work for one of my buddies uh, who owned a car dealership. I was doing some marketing things. And, uh, you know, that was providing a, pr a pretty good chunk of my income and also comedy. And then one yeah. afternoon, I think it was March 11th or something. Boom. Gone. All, yeah. All streams of income. And again, I've learned to not panic, and I've learned that there's a reason we're here. And as long as we're here, we're going to be okay. Right. Yeah, exactly. Doing this, And so I just looked up at the sky and I said, this is going to get cute. What do you got in plan for me? And then <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I've been fortunate to be on um, unemployment. And I met a great gal just before COVID. And so I sold the place in Boston. I'm living out in a little town called Templeton, which is not far from yeah. Gardner, yeah. Massachusetts. Yep. Central and, Mass. Yeah. And I've never been happier. And awesome. what it's done is 
I'm working on the properties. Um, it's creating more animation. I'm, I'm I have a novel written with the two main characters. It'll be more of a uh, it'll be more of a young adult thing uh, mm-hmm. because the two characters have all this tension. That they're, they're, they're just friends, but yeah. But underneath, they they really want more than that. But they're they like each other. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a novel for the times, especially yeah. for kids. How to you know reveal their feelings for somebody. So, and it's funny. I mean, the characters. Betty's a genius. So that's yeah. me. And so I'm never. And then then these things happen. I mean, how did I? How right. did I get together? I mean, I think I think I. That's what happened. I heard Tommy Morin told me you were doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And the day that I, uh, D- Dennis Worth asked me, uh, he, I was on his show. And then I said, you know, yeah. if you really want to do something fun, you, and I hope we can do this, is uh, absolutely a tribute to Bobby Seibel. And, we, and it's to- funny you say that, Tom, not to interrupt you. We've been talking for a while about a doing a show sometime uh, to as a tribute to a couple of the the fallen comrades, basically yep. Bob Seibel, Kevin uh, Knox, Kevin Knox, Rich Seisler, Rich Seisler. Yeah, you know, and talk about some of these lost boston legends that that we've had that uh we admire and that we've looked up to and that we've got to work with and with such incredible people i mean seisler and knox were so you know huge for me when i first started and helpful to me and then i didn't get to work with cybell until i was in comedy for a few years but he right. but he was awesome when i whenever i got to work with bob he was just such a great guy um that you know the, these are people that unfortunately we can't interview on the show but i want people to hear stories about them yeah because, because they were because incredible they had, guys and because they had such an impact on us right as newer comics we'd love we want to do a tribute show for those guys so right I, I would love to do you know yeah. to do something because I and know I you've have, got clips of Cybell. Three hours. Something told me at some point in my life, uh, my cousin who was helping me with the the, the Bean Project the toys uh, started taking classes where he lived in Acton at the Acton Cable, mm-hmm. and he said I got this brand new studio and and I thought Bobby Cybell. Yeah. And I booked uh, three hours, six half, half hour shows. Yeah. With came about with three hours of one-on-one with him in which i don't know in that three hours i may have got 20 minutes in max and and the rest is him just off on a tangent that's awesome yeah and it's his stuff so we could take clips and play those and let's Let's plan that because Bob Seibel is a comic that I would love people to know more about because uh, he was he was incredible he was the ultimate comedic character. Oh, my God. You Absolutely. Know, what, what I tell people, because I spent a week with him a little more in uh, Prague when in my 50s. Yeah. If somebody said to me, you know, well, listen, you can go back, but what, what week do you want to live? And I'd go, yeah. the week with Bobby in Prague. In Prague. I, I, my sides hurt. My, I, I, we, I cried with laughter. For yeah. And with amazing scenes that would, that would make a great movie someday. So um, there's stories that, that that just have to be shared with. Absolutely. All that. Okay. Cause yeah. that's, cause that's going to keep those guys alive. That's yeah. what, you know, that's so what we want to do. Let's commit to getting well, that done right now. So great, we're telling our audience, we're going to put that together in the future. We're going to do that. And the great thing about StreamYard, which is the platform that we're on right now is we can have up to 10 people. Right. On. Uh, so right. Uh, 
we can have you talking about Bobby. We can have Paul Barkley talking about Seisler. We can have people on yep. talking about Noxie. Cause I, and uh, Dave Fitzgerald, another guy that we lost. That yeah. was just a great, yep. great, you know, hilarious comic. But one of the one of the people that really made an imprint on a lot of us, like I know Maddie Blake, when we had him yeah. on, said that, you know, Fitzgerald Fitzy was was, you know, really instrumental in the beginning of his career. So we will do a Boston Legends tribute show. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, and we'll definitely we definitely got to have you on for that one, Tom. We oh, definitely got to have you on for that it'll one. Be, it'll be a riot. Oh, oh it'll be so much oh. fun. Imagine the stories that'll be shared on oh, that. Oh, and I, you know what? That'd be incredible. I don't know if she would come on, but Bobby's wife Diane, who I'm friends with on Facebook, oh, yeah. and and uh, well, she watches the cooking show all the time. I'd love to have her on to share some absolutely. stories. Absolutely. And when Bobby passed, it was. I mean, I woke up for days every day feeling this void, like part of me had died with him. And she would call me up and say, "Tom, thank you for those three hours." Yeah. Of- of Bob and she says, I watch them parts of it every single day. And wow. when I had to prepare for Dennis Worth's show, uh, I had to review those, I had to do some editing and cutting, and I had to listen to him for the full two days. And it was as though he was here, yeah, yeah, he, he was alive, he was back, yeah, yeah. And I, he, every single story, I laughed every a single character, yeah. You know, I, I and I don't remember who was on uh, with us, but they talked about how upset he was that they went for ice cream one time because he was notoriously frugal. And they went. <laughs> I said it a nice way, but yeah, cheap. Uh, but the no, I, who was it that talked Mastrangelo? about? He could not get over the fact that he bought a five dollar ice cream cone on Martha's Vineyard or one of the islands yeah. Yeah. where it was really, really expensive. And like three days later, he was like, "I can't believe he I was paid still $5 talking about for that goddamn ice cream cone." <laughs> the time he walked back, he walked to the. He walked to the. Air. The opportunity to do a one-man show on Bobby Seibel. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he was, we were walking down the streets of Prague, and he's telling me, I don't care about money. I said, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, you squeeze every penny till it hurts. They said, I think it was Brad Mastrangelo who said he had a flight early morning, and he asked he asked how much it would be for a, for a cab to the airport. And then he said, okay, how long of a walk is it? And he walked, walked to, the, to the, airport the airport from his hotel. <laughs> we stayed in a hotel that he booked that was six miles out of the city. And he would either walk or jog to it. He wouldn't pay the 35 cents for the Metro. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and on top of it, well, I'll do this real quick. He coupled the juxtaposition was he was cheap. Yeah. And he was a hypochondriac. Okay. <laughs> so I would get phone calls. Tommy, I just got out of Lynn Medical. Guess what? They're going to give me a free colonoscopy. <laughs> That's the best of both worlds for him. Exactly. That was heaven. <laughs> that was a great day for Bob. A medical procedure for free? That Bob's in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> it's cheap. And I'm going, Bobby, you're not, and I'm going, you're putting me on. You're pulling, you're, you're not serious. Yeah. Tell me, you know what these things cost? Two grand. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting it for free. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I could so see that whole I could conversation. See. Absolutely. Perfect. Oh, Tom, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you know, awesome. I love you. 
kudos to you guys. I had no idea what to expect. And, you know, okay, I'm just going to tell you that during my comedy career, I've got a gift. And the gift is this God-given gift. I can recognize talent and I can not only recognize, I can see where it's going. And I told five comics, only five, that after meeting them maybe once or twice, seeing them once, that they were going to the Tonight Show. I didn't tell six. I didn't tell seven. I didn't have a 80% chance, uh, hit right. rate. It was a 100%. People people like um, Brian Kiley, people oh, yeah. like, um, oh, God, what's her name? Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on her right now. But um, uh, Gary Goldman. I oh, told. Gary, yep. And, and they all looked at me because it was a year before they went, and they would say, uh, how do you know that? And Where's I go, that coming I from? Right. Every single one called me after they did it. Every single one called me. How did you know? And I know, but I'm go- so I'm going to take that record. I'm going to tell you, you guys have got the it factor. I'm going to tell you what they had, and you guys have got it. You, you're head and shoulders above what other people are doing. So I, uh, I take that in very I, high regards. Absolutely, very high regards. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, no, that's that's. So, I'm speechless. What you do, you're not just rushing me through questions and you're you're listening and you make me feel comfortable. You make me feel special. And if you're doing it to me, you're doing it to all your guests. Absolutely. What you get is superb shows. You know, you you. pull stuff out that, you know, you're like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat. It's it's magical. So I see nothing but great stuff for you guys because the cream always does rise to the top. Thank you, Tom. We really, really, honestly, we appreciate it because we have been working really hard at this for, you know, for a while. And, you know, if you go back and listen to the shows from four years ago, you may go, I don't see the it factor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't listen to stuff from season one because you'll go, guys, uh, can you take that out of the episode? I'm taking that back. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) No, 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 we 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 like I said, we love doing it. And I think when you love. Of course, what you're doing, it comes through. And I think that's one of the things that the uh, our listeners enjoy is that we are into it as much as they are. As a a fellow podcaster, what we're learning, okay, we can't do stand up the way we did. But, you know, this is like another thing. This is is when you get through with one of these. It doesn't just it's like a show that you have a killer set. It lasts for days. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been doing this since before the the uh, covid hit last year just like you so it you know it just kind of like heightened for us after covid hit that okay we can't do shows so let's concentrate on this right and this became our week our weekly focus and just like you said we would come off of some of these episodes each week and go man that was awesome yeah that was what a great conversation yep. and that this has sustained us over this past year when we couldn't be out there doing shows and, and things like that so oh, it's, it's, it's been great Excuse me. It's the perfect time for it because it's so positive and it's right down the middle. We're not going left and right. We're not mm-hmm. playing into all of the cuckoo-ness that's out there right now. And like with comedy, we're trying to shine that light. You're the lighthouse. Yeah. 
Thank you. No, Great. thank you. Mommy, really so to our listeners, if you want to check out Tom's podcast, it is Upbeat with Tom Hayes. Um, he's got a ton of episodes with a bunch of interesting guests. And as you can see, Tom is not only very funny, but he's very intelligent, very witty. Um, it's a great podcast. So definitely check that out from Tom. Uh, Tom's on Facebook if you want to check him out there to see, uh, you know, what's going on with him. And anything else we can promote for you, Tom? Just the uh, Bean Town Pals is the name of the uh, animation. And if you go there, you're yeah. going to see uh, some storybooks we've written and you'll see our animation and you'll get to meet the craziness of Tammy Pooler, uh, who I feel is the next uh, Lucille Ball easily. And uh, thank you, guys. Uh, no, well, listen, thank you, Tom. Uh, I, I'm going to give myself a little plug here for a second because, you know, I've been doing voices for years. So if you ever expand the characters, because obviously you oh, do a great job with the voice. But if you're ever looking for additional voice yeah. talent, make yeah. sure you, you look me up because uh, that's one of the things yeah. that I've been trying to expand into lately. Absolutely. We've I've, got um, when I created it, we were using an animation studio in Boston called Fable Vision, and I was trying to project where this would go. And the president of the company tapped me on the back of the hand. He goes, Tom, he goes, this thing's got so many spinoffs. You're not going to have to worry about any of that. So we got tons of characters, perfect. guys. That's All right. Awesome. All right, Tom. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Tom. We appreciate it. Me too. Love you guys. Love you too, buddy. All right. We'll see you. All right. And that was Tom Hayes. That was an awesome conversation. I mean, Man. I can't, you know what? It doesn't, I mean, we're looking at the clock and it's literally been like two hours. I didn't even did realize not, that. It did not, I did feel not even realize that at all. Yeah. At all. Because he, you know what? We, we've always talked about how people, you know, comics are storytellers. Um, but someone who it, as much experience as Tom and as much experience in a lot of different things, he's got a lot okay. of different stories to tell. Phyllis Diller. Yeah. Shecky yeah. Green. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, Henny. <laughs> I know. Uh, Carla Mulhern would be in in uh, yeah in heaven right now, knowing that I he mean, worked with Shecky it, Green. You know, people whose faces would be on a comedy Mount Rushmore. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and he, he's worked and met them. Uh, you know, the, the story of losing his leg and overcoming that obstacle. I mean, just a positive outlook, always moving forward, always working. And always looking for something else to, yeah, to spark and just the a, creative juices. Exactly. You know what a I mean? creative guy that is always in that creative mindset and what can I do with this and how can I progress it forward? Absolutely. And that, that's just, you know, I, I, I feel inspired after talking. I to know. Him. I know. I feel like a schmuck. Like I'm I haven't like, done shit with like, my life. I did a set Sunday night and I only did two new jokes. I got to go home and write shit now because <laughs> yeah, right. I can't keep up with Tom. I know. But that I just, I, I, that was awesome. This is the whole reason why this podcast started is for conversations like that. Exactly. That's Absolutely. exactly what it was. So Absolutely. And, you know, we've we've said it before. We're not like scripted where we have to ask this question or that question. We just nope. want to have a conversation. I, I, I want to hear their story from them. And that's exactly what we got exactly. tonight. So. Perfect. I'm, 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 I don't want to beat it to death. You know, that was great guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. Um, don't forget to, uh, to share us with a friend. Absolutely. Five-star reviews are a huge, huge help for the podcast. We cannot thank you enough. The past couple of months have been amazing for the amount of downloads. I, We're I'm growing, which is fantastic. Growing bigger than I could ever 
have imagined and and the fact that we're doing this uh you know video now as well as audio despite the fact of having faces for radio we really appreciate yeah. that you guys you guys are interested in watching it yes uh you know you could finally see us drink a jefferson bourbon you know yes and, but no we really really appreciate uh, uh all the listeners and now the people who are watching on on uh youtube on our video uh, YouTube channel. And uh, other than that, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Well, sure you do. Oh yeah. We will see you next week.